0: FOXCASTER ONLINE AUTHORIZATION ACCEPTED PUBLIC CONFIRMED BEGIN TRANSMISSION
1: "'We exist to bring the Emperor's peace to the galaxy,' said Astolan finally. "'While we may bring war to millions, we should not crave it. "'We were created to fight,' countered Belath. "'Yes, and we were also charged with the responsibility of choosing who we fight against,' said Astelin. "'When we go to war, we must do so in the sure and utter knowledge that it is right. "'From this comes our wholehearted dedication to victory.' We must be a terrible foe and must do terrible things in order that others will learn from our enemies' follies. Once unleashed, our anger cannot and should not be stayed. Relentless on the attack, intractable in defense, these are the hallmarks of the Astartes. Yet it is perhaps all too easy to stir ourselves to angry war for small reasons. You must remember that a world crushed beneath our heel may be resentful and requires garrisons and resources to guard it. A world that comes freely to accept the wisdom of the emperor must be embraced as a brother, for they will add strength and not detract it. We are perfected in body and mind to be the sword of the lion, said Belath. Where he directs, our blades fall. It's not our part to judge the punished, merely to administer the punishment. Let diplomats and bureaucrats argue the reasons, and let us be the dedicated to the annihilation of our enemies.
2: And that was David Wytek bringing us into the final part of our Tales of Heresy coverage.
1: And that right there is Greg Dan, Lore Master Extraordinaire here on After Eleanor. Welcome, everyone, to this, as Greg pointed out, the final installment for Tales of Heresy. Oh, boy. Tons and tons of stories,
2: huh? Yeah, there are quite a lot.
1: <laughs> oh boy so uh how've you been yeah i'm good yourself uh, i got this stupid cold uh but other than that i think we're good excellent stuff oh uh, so sh- call of the lion indeed that was where the reading was from gav thorpe this is what we're going to be covering first i'm kind of excited
2: um, yeah I, th- I think should we just jump straight in
1: yeah, I guess. Um, yeah, I think that'll be great. Um, so, this one and uh, this one was was I think one of yours. One of you, so you can take the lead on this one. We're
2: aboard the Spear of Truth, a battle barge of the Dark Angels Legion, which it wraps into real space and uh, immediately launches probes everywhere, a bit like the Imperials from Star Wars. Yeah. Quite like um. And, uh, yeah, we get a real sense of urgency here as it's, um, you know, patrol craft are erupting. They're they're formed up into three squadrons, um, and they're pushing into this new area, as you say, with um, Astolan geared, armoured, ready for battle. In fact, you know, everyone is. Um, And it goes on to say, you know, this is not dogma. This is... This is when they're vulnerable and the, the first legion, the, the Dark Angel, are always going to be prepared right. for something like this. They, they take pride in that kind of stuff.
1: I like um, when, they, uh, when they drop out of the warp back into real space. So I talked about how you always sort of need to reorient yourself because to know where you are, to be paying attention, to be looking around. Some of the descriptions of dropping out of the warp, um, at least I don't remember reading about before.
2: Yeah, uh-huh. I think I think it's been briefly mentioned, but it, yeah, it's that point at which they're the the most um, vulnerable, uh, and that goes for a lot of space kind of things, isn't it? It's that point where you're you're coming in somewhere and you're you're not prepared, you don't know the lay of the land, and you've you've got to wait for the old, ba- you know, batteries to charge up the weapons and all that jazz.
1: Exactly. Um, um, then you're also getting mentions in here how the um, he, you know. Uh, Estelin's hearing that uh, there's newer versions of power armor being developed and things like that. Um, they haven't yeah. gotten any substantial resu- resupplying in the last four years.
2: Yeah, these guys have been out on the, on their own, doing their own thing for a long time. Yeah. So not only do they not have the best gear, they're not 100 probably not 100% sure exactly what's going on around the, the galaxy either. So it's always uh, always going to be a tricky one.
1: Plus, yeah. Plus, being loyalist, you're just not getting resupplied as often as other guys. You know, it happens. Nobody's noticing that that's what's happening, but that's what happens.
2: Yeah, I like um, like the fact there's all this tension on the bridge. Uh, kind of, as I say, they're they're coming out into this um, this area of space they don't know. They're trying to f- kind of be prepared, but don't worry about it. They won't actually act upon that tension because there's the first legion. Yeah, exactly. You know? They're far too stuffy and stuck to the rigidity of their rules that, you know, it's it's almost like a negative that they'll act in a positive way.
1: <laughs> but, you know, I kind of liked this, this whole description, though. Um, you know, all the technical aspects of coming back online after a warp jump, um, you know, uh, uh, most of... Uh, the this these thirty K stories, they're not exactly, you know, hard sci-fi. It's you know, it's more space opera than hard sci-fi. Yeah. And uh this sort of feeds a bit of my hard sci-fi Jones for when they start really just going into all the details of how this stuff works. I mean it's not exactly hard sci-fi. They're not going into all the technical minutiae of how it works, but just going into some detail of all the steps and and, and processes that you have to go through to to do this stuff it's 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 nice to get that every once in a while because you don't get it terribly often with yeah, with them because most of the time it's like well we just put it on and say our prayers and anoint it with the holy oils and and, and get going
2: yeah and you wouldn't want it written out fully in too many books either so it's no. nice to have it in every now and then yeah and you can just you can just drag that into the other books which is cool um, so yeah, they come in. They do their immediate scans. There's no there's no threats to them. There's nothing, nothing out there that's you know wildly kind of advanced or scary, uh, and and even more ships then come and join them, and and then they can start scanning this system properly, you know, really deeply. Several
1: uh, hours of dropping out of out of the warp into real space and all that, tight beam laser, you know, con, uh, you know contact and stuff like that. It's, it's just, it's great. Hours of dropping, I'm speaking, sh- yeah. ships dropping out of the warp for hours. It's like, oh, yeah, there's exactly. a lot of guys coming here again.
2: Yeah, and they've come here because there's a, a slight uh, radio signature. You know, there's even a chance that it's just a, a space phenomenon, like a lot of them are. But they're here, and, and Asterland's not expecting this to be anything unusual and gives himself four days to achieve a positive contact. Otherwise, they've got more stuff to do. Right. So, you know, even out here, even off to the side of it, there's there's no wasting time.
1: Yeah, humanity. Um, you know, they were they were finding lots of planets closer closer to Terra, but the farther you get out, is the the you know the less they're finding. Obviously, so you're getting this far out, it's like ugh, ninety five percent of the time, it's just non, it's just not anything. So
2: yeah, absolutely. And then we get. Uh, so three days, three days goes by. And finally, Aston is called to the bridge, uh, which is you know, a hive of activity. It's all going on. Um, you've got technicians chatting over screens, comparing notes, a typical busy kind of something's happening in a, <laughs> in a place. Uh, but he already notices there's a spike on the box. relay. You know, confirmed artificial signal signature. Um, so they're, they're hoping they found this relay beacon, you know, something they're after to, uh, to get it but we get uh, chapter master and, uh, chapter master uh, bilath to join them on the bridge so we're starting to get the guys all together who are going to be the important characters in the story yeah um, we go on to find out that, that the planet's got human inhabitants uh, they've achieved radio communications um, it's uh, an isolated human world that they can then show the imperial truth to so it's perfect for, for the Great Crusade, really. Um, right, Aslan, Aslan and Bela then move down to the, the docking bays. You know they're going to go down and do their thing. We have got Castellan class bombers and harbouring assault craft, as well as some others. Um, th- so these are unnamed assault craft in the rules, which is quite cool. This is where um, sometimes I know we're diving into the game a little bit, but this is where sometimes Forge World will then pick up on that. And be like, yeah, we want to make an assault craft. Okay, what have we got? Oh, we, we could make a Harbringer. That would be pretty <laughs> awesome. So, and, th- and this is why sometimes these things come out that haven't necessarily appeared a lot. And it's because they're mentioned once or twice here. <laughs> a bit like the Mastodon uh, later on.
1: Right, exactly. Um,
2: but these guys have, n- have never met. So Belath is a uh, part of the influx of new warriors from the recently um, rediscovered Caliban, so, which seems to suggest that Aslan is Terran. But they've got these twenty thousand new Astartes from from Caliban. So these are the Lion's own troops, as it were. Right. You know, we're talking we're talking quite early on as well. So not too many. Um, we we see we see already as well that not too many of the Terran veterans uh, took command of the Calibanites, and we've got these guys who are coming pretty much untested and not, you know. In terms of the the veterans looking at them, these are new recruits. These are not blooded troops, are they? Right. So that, that there's potential for a, a bit of a conflict in that system. But Belath himself, he's wearing the symbol of the Order of the Raven Wing. So you know, back when we did the other book, that was the guys on the horses, uh, and within the system of the Legion, they're the guys on the jet bikes for the hard, strike hard, striking and fast, and all the. Um, all the scout, that kind of thing. Yeah, the quick moving aspect of the legion.
1: Right. Uh, he does point out here that Astolenz, uh, like you know, I know that they're pairing up. You know, they're they're newer guys with the older troops, but it seems weird that he's getting reinforcements when he hasn't found or had anything real real to do in quite some time. And here it is, two weeks ago, he gets this whole group of reinforcements. Um. And here's what it seems like they're pairing, they might be pairing up uh, teams from, the, the, the new teams from Caliban with experienced teams Yeah, from Terra. Um, and of course, having read a couple of these books, uh, it seems like, you know, the line is purposely teaming up guys from Caliban with teams from Terra.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Trying to, trying to bring the Legion as, as a whole Um Right. Maybe other reasons as well. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And this is where we get, you know, the passage you read. Uh, You know, the Dark Angels are gearing up ready to fight and and Belath's there kind of eager and, yep, no, we're ready, we're ready. And as you say, Aslan's like, are you ready not to fight? Right. Which which shows a – it's it's the theme of this book. We've talked about it a number of times, haven't we? Kind of – what what is the right thing to do? Is is the Great Crusade there now purely to to kill and to to bring people in who don't want to come in, or is it there to actually maybe accept slightly more cultures than they would have before? Uh, you know, A- Astelands is is you know Bella. I mean, the thing is as well they're new from Caliban, so they're going to be want, wanting to prove themselves as well. So that's always going to be an aspect of their their nature, isn't it? When yeah, you, you want to you want to show the, the the boss that you can do the job,
1: and it's, there's a, there's a tension right off the bat between them too. Um, you yeah. know, he's asking him, "What's this on your on your on your clothes?" with with they said with the mark of the Raven Wing, and he's all very proud of it. But also, like, you know, what, what are you asking me about this for? Like, why? What 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 do you care? What it is? You yeah. know, like
2: yeah, the, the, yeah. He's also because he's also got the um, the Calibanites have the green uh, shoulder plate to represent they come from Caliban, so. Yeah, right. Although they're trying to feed them in, there's already a distinction built into their armor.
1: They're literally markedly different yeah, from the Terran uh, Angels. Um there's this odd little interlude here where he takes him upstairs and there's uh or not upstairs but upstairs and there's these doors. Um and I was like oh, okay, um huh you know they like he like there's there's sort of this like anger going on. They're sort of getting annoyed with each other. And he's like, I made these doors myself. I grew up on the Cyprian steps of Terra. Then there's a tale in these patterns because he's looking at the the you know he copied the designs from memory from the you know the and uh, he tells you know later we have a campaign campaign to plan and he's going to tell him this story later about these the, these doors that he fashioned himself. Um, which I was just like, wait, what? Like, it just it seemed a little out of place. I'm like, okay, this, I'm, 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 I want to know what this story is now because it's like, why would you drop this in here unless it was important?
2: (laughs) Yeah, I certainly think that part of it, reading it for the first time through, it shows that he's not just a, a, a warrior, a soldier, right. There's another aspect to his life, so maybe, um, you know, you say first, reading it first through, just get to that point, maybe they're showing the fact that there is a life beyond fighting, maybe, for, for space marines.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah that's, so, that's, yeah, yeah. there
2: is certainly that, but, yeah, it does spark a, an interest, doesn't it? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, and, yeah, as you say, they go into this, this campaign room, this room just, you know, to plan their campaign, yeah. Um, uh, of the fourth world, uh, which is populated and urban. Um, and again, they kind of, I want to lead. I want to lead the fight. And Astlan's having to go. We might not have to fight.
1: Well, yeah, and, I mean, the, the two out. guys, the two guys, uh, Astellan's, like two, um, you know, as, like assistants, his like main guys both start laughing when he's like, I, I wanna, I'm going to, I'm going to lead the assault. And they start to laugh. And he, you know, that's, uh, you know, we, we, uh, isn't it early to talk about assaults? You're going to make contact with them? I haven't decided yet. Yeah. Well, contact would reveal us and we'd lose the element of surprise. And, you know, um, you know I, I, there appears to be no planet-wide official frequencies. It seems to have several states and governments to deal with. You know, and there's, there's, there's two very different, and of course, with every Dark Angels book, there's two very different ways of approaching yeah. This this whole story. There's one guy who's like, "Look, we're just gonna go in there. We're gonna smash them, and now they work for us." You know,
2: yeah. Even when even when Aslan's like, "No, we're gonna go down," and, it, and Bella's like, "Well, okay, good, yeah, we could bring a few of them back and interrogate them." Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's not that's not what he's meaning. It's, yeah, you're not quite getting this, are you? Um, and yeah. it pushes on, and uh, Aslan, in the end, you know, puts his foot down, but says he's gonna lead it as well. Which everyone's worried about, as, as they always are, when any high-ranking officer goes down. We see it all the way up to Primarks. So <laughs> um, but yeah, they, they're going to drop in and check it out. Um, we've got what appears to be uh, much like our world. You know, different. You don't see it very often in heresy. Is a world with different governments. Right. It's like a lot of the time, it's one government's controlled the wor- the whole world, is not it? Um, but this has got yeah things that could potentially make make life difficult for them
1: and then always becomes easiest I mean even in other in, in other sci-fi books you know if it if you if you're talking about uh, expansion out from earth to other planets it's like well we expanded out and we landed here and we set up a government and then the whole planet grew from that one spot where we landed and, and colonized yeah. the planet so we have a planetary government Yeah. Um, I mean, everything from, you know, from Asimov to, you know, to Joss Whedon, you know, you've got all of these, you know, planetary government things going on. So you're right to have a place that's got lots of different to, to have a much more Earth like modern Earth like, uh, you know, political uh, uh, setup is 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 rare. Um, but it also makes you know it's it's it works for this story. Lots of people who should all be working as one, very divided um, and untrusting of each other. So the planet even that they land on works within the within the uh, the telling of this of this particular story. Sure,
2: absolutely. Um, yeah, and they drop in. We get a nice little description of the harbinger being like made to look stormbird uh, made stormbirds to look under armored yeah. is which is pretty awesome so maybe for won't do a model of the Harbinger. Um, <laughs> um but yeah this this world does not appear to have communication satellites orbital craft uh, you know they're, they're trying to avoid being found out so they drop into this small backwater um, which seems fairly sensibly written I think you know you wouldn't want to just drop uh if you if you're not looking to appear as aggressive you don't drop straight down into the yeah, you know, the biggest city you can find eh, with right. huge armoured <laughs> dudes like that. Um, but even then, the response of the natives is just to attack the recon squad in <laughs> yeah. the landing site. Uh, but it, you know they believe that they may have landed accidentally near a, a military installation. Yeah. and again, so Aslan's first response here is to pull back. Um, whereas Be- Belath's is, well, we've got an orbital barrage locked on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you want. We're ready we we'll pull you out we're ready. Ready.
1: yeah we're ready to so, pull you out and uh and start the orbital bra- that's just yeah he's yeah. really so, itching to blow, blow up something
2: yeah. so As- aslan um he manages to you know kind of for a while resist until you know the attack becomes fiercer they're getting a full on assault on them so he he's left with no choice really but to respond in kind um I mean, the enemy of crew weapons. They've got you know hard shot weapons and things like that. Um, They do, they do manage to get one shot through Aslan's helmet and damage it, but they they're just pulled apart. This is oh yeah, this is um, space marines doing what they do best. Especially when the armor turns up and there's there's just nothing they can do. Then (laughs) it's um sending kids to fight men. Right. But yeah, at the end of this fight, we only get three apothecaries. Uh, Dark Angel's dead, and we get to watch a uh, cheap apothecary, Vandrilis, removing pr- uh, progenoid glands, both from the neck and the lower backs, which is quite cool. Where we talked about these are the um, these are the glands that hold all the DNA for making space marines. Right. So each space marine has two, and then they're harvested and put into new uh, recruits, and that way the space marines can live on. Um. Which is pretty cool, uh, uh, and then they call to be taken back into orbit. So they've they've given up on this plan. No,
1: uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here for one second, um, just because we we're, we're talking about they they the taking out the uh, he you know he tears out the lower progenoid and that and yeah. then Astelan has this little side thing where he's thinking about it, where he, you know, every warrior carried with the Primarch's gene seed, and in this case, to create Lord Astartes, Um, I I highlighted this because I didn't know about this, and is is this, was this common knowledge, that I missed this when I was reading my uh, Adeptus Astartes uh, codex, Uh, Estella knew his fate would not be on the end of a reductor, for his progenoids had matured over two decades ago, and had been removed in relative safety of a shipboard medical bay. He had made his contribution to future generations of dark angels and could fight now safe from the knowledge that others would be able to follow so if you live long enough as a space marine they can just like like the the your gene seed the 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 glands have done their job so they can just pull them like while you're alive yeah,
2: yeah so so one progenoids needed to the progenoids needed for as you say, for making new recruits. Each space marine has two, so each space marine can make two new recruits. Um, The idea being that, as you say, they need to mature inside the space marine. So uh, at some point, basically, if they couldn't remove them before they died, they would be a dying race because some warriors would just be completely mushed and you wouldn't be able to remove it. So yes, uh, particularly the... Uh, the lower the, the lower one in the chest cavity is um, can be removed easier than the neck one per se. There are some interesting discussions about exactly how that works
1: now, so but, it, but it takes yeah. one to make a space marine and the second one just grows Is that 's part of the whole thing so that way you
2: um, yeah i 'm trying to imagine remember exactly how it occurs but i 'm ninety nine percent sure that the other one's grown that way uh yeah and okay, then that, that that even
1: makes more sense i didn't realize that like i must have missed that when i was reading through the yeah the space I, marine codex because that's i
2: think it, i think it's one of those things where it's kind of there's little kind of oh yes this happens and it doesn't go too deep into well
1: it. and that makes more sense though because just having just that one and if they die then it's gone you know hey they actually double with this guy lives long enough he's got the original plus an extra yeah, is because you, you, know, you, you take a melter,
2: you take a melter blast to the to the chest. You are probably not having much left to remove, so they need <laughs> they need the system uh, to be in that case. And as I say, so once they reach maturity, um, they can be removed. Uh, I say there is some debate about how easy it is to remove them, uh, particularly the neck one um, or the higher up one. But yeah, they can be done, and um, because you know the system where they were removed in battle is to drill through the armor and. You know, just tear it out. Basically,
1: um, I just thought that was interesting because I had no idea that they could. They, I mean, it makes sense that they could. If, you know, I just for some reason I thought that was an integral part of their, you know, their no, their inner workings. Absolutely. That if you pulled it no. out, they would, you know, they would die or it's something. A, so I guess
2: it's, it's just their reproductive system at the end of the day, and that's all it's uh. useful. In a in a weird. Weird way.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, now good to know. I got that, so.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Um, cool, yeah. So so they come back, and uh, Byzantus, as they call this place, um, as we say, it's got all these different nations on it, six different continents, each ruled by a different nation, um, and Belath has his plan, uh, you know, attack planned out to hit each capital. Uh, when a message is heard on loop decrying the attack on the sovereign territory of Confederate vans. Um, So what we've got is that they actually kind of, they have a sort of UN between them, don't they? So we've got a committee of nations is gathered. uh, And again, Aslan sees this as like, right, here we go. We can approach them properly again and and bring it, bring this world into the Imperium uh, by compliance rather than force. And Bella's still raging about this. <laughs> and, and, they, and they end up getting in this big disagreement. So,
1: There's an interesting uh, argument that goes on here, though, where he says, uh, Estelan says, it doesn't strike me as right that we give these people no chance for a peaceful solution. Yeah. You know, what would history think of us? What would Caliban be now if the emperor had come with a closed fist rather than an open hand? Caliban's different. Because it's your world? Because we have the lion. The emperor had no chance but to treat with us. Any invasion would have been costly and counterproductive. And he's like, oh, so since there's no Primarch here, we should just offer them no choice? You know, their blood and their lives is worth less because of a chance of fate? It was not chance that brought the lion to Caliban destiny brought our leader to us which is kind of a weak argument right there but I just thought it was interesting how this guy's like the emperor had no choice but to treat with us we had the lion he wasn't going to just yeah. take the planet and it's like oh so you, the lion's better in his eyes than the emperor like or it seems so at least, you know?
2: Yeah, yeah. There's potential to look at it that way. Um,
1: I mean, it's not necessary. He's not coming right out and saying that. No. And it might just Because he does say it would be costly and, and, and ineffective to do this, so he still had to. But just but also, the- yeah,
2: there, there's a few things here. There's that. So, I mean, if you attack a Primarch's world, you know, how does that end up? How does that Primarch... We, we, we see later on what happens to, um, you know, what happens to Angron uh, when he's pulled from a planet. Uh, let alone kind of the Imperium doing anything themselves. Uh, You've also got in there, you know, a very quick bit that the line was fated to go to that planet. Well, that feeds into a number of theories about uh, the Primarchs and which planets they ended up and how, um, how many of them seem to have ended up on just the right planet uh, that, that suits their, the, the, the fighting style of the legion they had beforehand, plus DNA, plus everything else. Um, and then, yeah, you've got this kind of different opinions where the Calibanites and the Terrans are looking at, in this case, the Caliban, you know, Belath and Astalan are looking at, you know, what's their role uh, at the end of the day, which sort of reminds me of Horus in Ga- Ga- Galaxy in Flames when he's got the Interrex and um, Abaddon saying, right, well, they're, they're non-human. They're, they're deviated too far. We have to kill them. And Horace is like, but do we? Is that really what was meant? Are we not at a point where we can learn to to live with a this this race who are you know, mainly human and following right. us? So you've got those three different things all going on in that one little conversation, um, and and that again, you know, it's the crux of this book. What is the Great Crusade at this point? Uh, at what point is it? is it the complete and utter dominance of humanity or is it um uh, making a safe galaxy for humanity to survive it because uh, they're setting potentially different things
1: and so. lots of lots of arguments going on about just just their their pur- you said their purpose um they get this uh You know, uh, I mean, it gets to the point, the argument gets so bad that Astalon grabs, you know, Beleth by the breastplate, you know, smacks him into the wall, and, you know, he's like, you know, and I won't tolerate this lack of respect, and he's like, and I won't take yours, and, you know, I fought for the Emperor, he chose me to be the front of this, and he's like, I have my honors. You know, I was the first in my order to be chosen from the Astartes, I was the first to be made chapter commander, I was raised on traditions older than your legion, You know, So then they start going into that thing where it's just – it's a really weird dynamic going on here between these guys because they've been raised two very different ways.
2: Yeah, and it's – again, we've seen a number of places where uh, legionaries seem to put their prime market before their emperor. Uh, And and this is a kind of a major crux of this argument. You know, Belath believes the lion should decide what happens. And it's like Aslan's like, we've been given – all the power in the universe to be able to decide this ourselves. This is what we should be doing. We can't can't have the lie here every moment. The emperor's given us uh, guidance on how to do this. We can follow it through. Uh, and as you say, it's the point at which he calls um, Aslan uh, soft and a coward. Uh, he proclaims his, uh, yeah, so, you know, Aslan's, yeah. Aslan's claims are all based on the Emperor, and Bellas are all based on the Lion. Seeing me do this, this has happened. This has happened. Um, yeah, until that, yeah, he puts him up against the wall.
1: Yeah, yeah. If you wish to cry off to Caliban, you can. I'm going to talk to this council. Oh, you want me to go to cry in the Caliban? You're soft, and I wonder what the Lion will make of your lack of courage. So yeah, they're just they're not. They don't like each other, and it's obvious. And it just it just keeps getting worse
2: yeah I, I mean personally my feel of it is Belleth is a jumped up little kid who um kind of knows everything in his mind but right you know, in reality has to be taught a lot still right um, he's very much kind of that pride of the legion uh the the the, the they have a he lot was the very the big endings.
1: fish in a small pond, yeah and now got released and yeah he really wants to prove himself um
2: but Aslan wins through, um, you know, his rank wins through. And after two days of, of communication on the planet, they finally find someone who can gather the committee of nations, uh, into an audience, uh, with the condition that only two unarmed uh, people attend. Whilst, you know, is going to prepare the, the, the invasion, whether or not, whatever happens, he's going to prepare this invasion. And, uh, we have aslan and belath teleporting into the chamber to find it full of terrified men and women uh, and the process right. begins we got um you know belath is bad cop aslan's the good cop <laughs> which no,
1: they, is not they the come s- down there in the, in their robes too they come down there in those uh yeah. and even though even then i mean we've seen this before even in their robes they're they're terrifying they're terrifying they're huge they're monstrously large um you know they don't look like you know, peaceful guys. They look like brutes, um, and and these uh, these people on this planet are rightfully scared.
2: Yeah, absolutely, and and you know their argument is you know they've already these people have come to bring death and yet uh, to bring peace and yet they brought death. You know, and what peace do you bring to the families of two thousand seven hundred and eighty men killed? Demanded Kinloff what peace you bring to 1,615 more that lie in hospitals Um, and uh, Belas responds the the piece of the knowledge that no more need die here whilst Aslan they will be remembered for their sacrifices and and it kind of I think think it's more through the fear of more death that they kind of say yeah if it's true we'll welcome your emperor exactly Uh, except not all will
1: yeah, and of course you get the stupid people who just think that they're going to mouth off to the Astartes and tell them what's what, and oh, it never that never ends well.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's it.
1: Um, Especially yeah, when you it, got one who's itching to kill you. I realize they yeah. don't know the danger they're in, but you just kind of got to realize the danger. You, I mean, they're sitting there saying, "Listen, you killed thousands of our people." You know. <laughs> And and you and you, I mean, how many did they kill? I mean, I know they don't have a number because they, the Stardis don't leave their dead behind when they don't have to, but they had to know they didn't kill too terribly many, you know. And yeah, these guys land in the middle of their hall, and then they're getting lippy. So it's like, oh, oh boy, oh boy.
2: You're- and yet again, because Bellath there. He just orders the 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 teleportation of more troops, and Aslan's forced into this position then, where he's like, "Well, there's going to be war now. There's nothing I can do." So, kind of reluctantly, he's got to call in his own attack.
1: Yeah, uh, but these yeah. people are really stupid too. I mean, come on. I mean, the, when the, I mean the woman's there, and the the doors, they, you know. Yeah, sees them. I mean, seriously, this is like in the beginning of the original Ghostbusters. Get her! It's like, get, you know, yeah. that literally yeah. she's like, get them. I mean, she might
2: not be someone who saw any of the effects of that fighting.
1: That's yeah. the thing. They landed
2: in one place, you know, she's from a different continent and then all of a sudden there's this big issue. Um, yeah, it, it, it doesn't go well. It's, it's, it's foolish on their part, uh, but you know, how often, how if you don't want to be ruled over by these kind of people, it's always a hard choice, isn't it? Right. <laughs> How hard do you fight? Um, and we get on to... But you
1: promised a peaceful conversation, and then yeah. you yell, get them. It's just like, oh, jeez, oh, yeah. you just it's signed re- your own death warrant. You know, you... you yeah, and
2: then right at the end, so, yeah, they clear them all. Um, it's we've got Drop Pod screaming down and he turns to, Aslan turns to Bella. The blood of all, all who dies on your hands, said Aslan. I will not let this go unpunished. Bellath smiled at that moment and it was hard, emotionless expression that chilled Aslan to see it. You did not decide guilt or punishment, said the young chapter master. My astropaths already send word to Caliban of what occurs here. You will soon learn the consequences of disobedience, Terran. It's like, this is a good start for a Legion where Calibanites have only just joined.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I actually literally I don't get it. I don't I just don't see disobedience here. I don't I just see a bloodthirsty Calibanite here. And I just I even, even the f I mean the first time I read it I was like, What's going on? Like I I and I realized I don't I don't get stuff. And then as I read more of these books I started to get it more. But at this point, I still don't see it. I mean, did the lion tell them, just go there and wipe this pl- wipe these people out if you find stuff? Or uh,
2: I, don't, I, think, I think it's, as you said, it's the pride of that legion. Um, they're the, probably the most prideful of all the legions. He's sitting there. We've got our pride, Mark. Uh, as we go down through, the, um, through all the problems that Dark Angels have, it's, a lot of the times it is down to pride. It's down to that kind of attitude as to as to what happens to that whole Legion. You, you sit there with that Legion, and you think, well, you could have solved this simply by saying, yeah, all right, we'll do that as you asked, rather than, oh my God, why have you made me do this? Um, and it doesn't help that their, their Primarch doesn't necessarily give all the facts all the time and everything else as well. Exactly. But I, th- I think it's, it's a highlight of, of all the issues that Dark Angels have. Um, And, you know, it, it was a build-up because we'll see his character's a little bit later on as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
2: So, yeah, it was cool. It was a, it was a good little story. I, I, it was. It, it, hard to feel its worth, maybe, in it's it, independently.
1: Yeah, uh, especially since we've seen a, a couple of different stories where they literally beam down and talk to a grand council and get attacked stupidly. I mean, Call of the Wolf, which was our second story, I think, in yeah. this book, had a similar scene in it. So you're starting to see the same things over and over again. Um, but in that one, the conflict, uh, you know, w- was at a, at a different point for a different purpose. Um, but uh, a- on the whole, with all the rest of these stories, it works.
2: Yeah. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, it's pretty good. Got the hiccups. Do apologize. Yeah, it it, it works. It's it's a good little fun story. Yeah. Uh, as I say, with more tied into it from, from the outline stories.
1: Yep. So um, take a break and come back with uh, Last Church.
2: Yep. I forgot we got three more, haven't we? we got Last Church and After the Shire. So. Yep.
1: Yep, Last Church. All right. We'll be back in a moment, folks.
2: Hi, I'm Dan Ablett, and you're listening to After Ullinov. And welcome back. We're going to be discussing um, a controversial book, The Last Church.
1: I like this one. Yes, uh, it's definitely Parts of it interesting. are a little heavy-handed, and it throws in a couple of things that make me go, wait, what? Uh, Graham McNeil wrote this one, and there's a couple of things in here that make me stop and, and ask questions, but uh, I find this one quite interesting. Um, Definitely. So it starts off at the Church of the Lightning Stone. Um, it's midnight services here. People, uh, the 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 P, the priest is Uriah Ulther, and yep. uh, okay. uh, seven decades had passed since he had seen an army of those giants marching into battle when he was, you know, little more than a child. He could picture them as though they were yesterday, towering brutes who carried swords of caged lightning and were clad in plumed helmets and burnished plate the color of winter sunset, so were those the the with the, with the thunder warriors those were the thunder warriors, right, okay, yeah, when he said plumed yeah. helmets, I thought it was the custodes all of a sudden. I'm like, was it was the they I mean maybe uh, he saw the emperor's actual bodyguards or something like that um
2: Yeah, he's he's witnessed a lot of the unification. So that's yeah, yeah, mainly Thunder Warriors, the brutal power of the Thunder Warriors.
1: So, um, basically, you know, it's the fighting's over here. You know, we've got all this stuff going on. Um, You know, the grand architect of this last world war is emerging from the host of toppled despots, ethnarchs, and tyrants to stand triumphant on a world made barren by conflict. so, you know, if the War for Unity was like 70 years ago, how long ago
2: did... No, no. It was 70 years since he first saw them. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he, he's alive in the War of Unity. Oh, okay. Went on for a long time. Oh, um, so
1: that... Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he's... How long he's, was the War of the, Unity? Do we know?
2: Not, not 100%, I don't think. But it was a long time um, because it was during that time that he was started working on the... Uh, Legions and everything else as well. Okay. So,
1: now, yeah. um, now the center of an altar has a broken timepiece. You know, it's uh, it's got a cracked, you know, cracked glass face. Um, there's a book under it. Um, it used to have a purpose. It doesn't have a purpose. Kind of like the book next to it. Kind of like Ulric, or I mean Uriah. I don't know why I yep. call him Yurik. kind of like <laughs> Uriah. Um, you know, it's like everything in this church is broken or useless at this point. Like, because it, and it, uh, it, as, as the title in, uh, as the title indicates, this is the last church left on the planet
2: on Terra. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's it's this first bit which is really all about setting um, tone, isn't it? So we've got uh, a cold, stormy night with lightning. Um, Right. We've got this timepiece sat there, which resembles, you know, many things, but also hasn't chimed for, you know, whenever, and and said that it will chime on the last days. Right, and
1: and that's the part that I thought was a little heavy-handed, a little weird. Uh, I mean, it literally says he had stolen the clock as as a youth. He had stolen the clock from an eccentric craftsman who lived in a silver palace in the mountains of Europa. It had been filled with thousands of bizarre timepieces. But it was destroyed in one of the many battles that swept across the continent. As he fled, the craftsman had cursed him, screaming that the clock was counting down to doomsday and would chime when the last days of mankind's existence were at hand. And I'm just like, okay, this is, you know, why do I feel like this clock is going to start ringing at the end of this story? And I wrote that in my notes. I'm like... You know, and I like Graham McNeil. Don't get me wrong, but this is just like I'm being beaten over the head with that type of an image. You know, that's when someone tells you that clock's not going to ring till doomsday. It's like, okay, well, I expect to hear this clock ringing right at the end of the story.
2: Maybe it was a magic clock.
1: It might have been actual
2: mystical, magical properties. Well, and he's in Um, a big
1: silver building with yeah. thousands thing, of clocks and stuff I'm like what like I'm I'm trying to put it together with some sort of a earth story uh, that I know and I'm like I don't know any stories with silver towers and thousands of clocks
2: what I do like about it is it shows that this priest had a history before and he
1: wasn't priest. it was and he wasn't a good kid he was out no. there traveling the world <laughs> stealing and stuff
2: yeah it, this is a reformed character as we say but um yeah no, it's it's really cool um yeah yeah uh, the the timepiece thing it is you're right is um it's pretty obvious and it it's there but I kind of don't mind in a way um because it's something certain that you know is going to happen yeah <laughs> uh, and sometimes that's all right but yeah I think I think he, he sets it really well you know this um this church is at the top of the highest peak you know completely secluded um it used to be on an island but all that Water got boiled away in a fighting, so it 's not on an island anymore yeah and then and then, at two minutes to midnight,
1: he hears people midnight. coming now it 's supposed to be yeah. midnight mass, and he 's like he hears people coming in it 's about time it 's two minutes to midnight, and i 'm thinking, wait, is it literally two minutes to midnight, or is that the time on the clock because Two no, minutes. I
2: think it's two minutes. Well,
1: well, I mean, you know, two minutes to midnight, you know, the the, the, the real, the Armageddon clock, as it's been called, you know, that scientists have put together, the, you know, the entire history of the planet, you know, is, is is two minutes to midnight.
2: It might be both.
1: Yeah, so that's why I'm wondering if the clock that he's holding there is literally at two minutes to midnight, the clock that's maybe, sitting at the thing.
2: Yeah, maybe he's just a maiden fan. <laughs>
1: You could <laughs> you could be a lot worse than be an Iron Maiden fan. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's what that song is about. Is about that. Oh, yeah, 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 so yeah. I mean But so the doors open and in comes this character and uh it's it's kinda of funny. He comes in and uh
2: yeah, backlit, not in focus. Right. Every.
1: I mean, every. Yeah. You know, the the door is open. There he is standing there. It's raining outside. The lightning is flashing behind him. He's all shadowy. I mean, everything that you can. Uh, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah. No, it's really good. But then he kind of breaks it a little bit in the. Um, you know, it's, do, your, do your your men want to come in? No, that's no. Fine. They don't want to come they're in. Con- they're content without without what. Right, so yeah, it kind of breaks it a little bit, which is good.
1: <laughs> yeah, without what They're, you know, oh, it, it does say it does he say. He does kind of midnight- insult him though when he makes a joke. He's like, "I found mo- I found most of your men are dour, leaden-hearted men." Yeah, you know. Yeah,
2: it's getting shown this priest has got a, a bit of a side to him, but we do see again that he, he does actually, literally say that it's um, his midnight services. Yeah. Uh, is whatever i can't remember what is uh, midnight service is considered quite popular in these parts uh, again so I, i'm not too sure that that's not said without his tongue firmly in his cheek <laughs> i think i think he i mean right from the start i think he he knows that what's going on and it's you know there's no way he's going to stop what's happening and we see that through this, this story so it's a bit of humor a bit of
1: Yeah, whatever. Yeah, he can see that these guys are coming Um, The guy who shows up Their description here is good This was a man of violence And though Uriah felt no threat from him He knew there was something dangerous about him Uriah fixed a smile and extended his hand Saying, I am Uriah Ulther Last priest of the Church of the Lightning Stone Might I have your name The man smiled and shook his hand A moment of sublime recognition Threatened to surface within Uriah's mind But it was gone before he could grasp it my name is not important, said the man. But if you wish to call me something, you may call me Revelation. And so you get this where he's going to pick a name like that. You know, even even Uriah is like, okay, that's uh nice, nice name. <laughs> For a guy yeah, who doesn't that's, like priests, that's, a, that's an interesting name to pick.
2: Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, and, you know, immediately um – they start talking about the art,
1: <laughs> yeah, the
2: building itself,
1: looking at the church, he's walking around showing him this church. this is my church. um I love the frescoes that they're looking at um the one that yep. they specifically point out, you know you got the nude figures in the magical garden, an explosion of stars, a battle between a golden knight and a silver dragon,
2: yeah, absolutely,
1: yeah, I uh, wasn't that from mechanicum didn't we have that whole story?
2: that uh, yeah I mean you know the claim in mechanicum that the emperor bought a dragon to Mars yeah
1: yeah that he was the actual one who slayed who slayed the dragon back in the middle East. that was just so when I I'm like oh okay I like that that's a good that's a good one to put in there
2: yeah definitely and and he shows you know this, this revelation shows not only his appreciation of art but his knowledge so he's, he's claiming to have studied these things and um definitely to have seen no higher power yeah um Claim of uh, jealousy that uh, goes along that you know these things could only be vi- uh, be made with with some form of divine power involved.
1: Yeah, divine inspiration. Um, you have to admit seeing this. Yeah, I don't right. have to admit any such thing. <laughs> it's just, it's, 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 the arguments are just great.
2: Yeah, and and this kind of kind of sparks a little bit with you know why is he here at this last church? Um, you know we know we know this is the emperor <laughs> even at this point uh, why why attend to the last church if you 've got truly secular uh, belief system and everything else then don't you just destroy it or, or are you here to take pleasure in destroying it yeah. you know destroying a church and a little old man or or are you here because you're losing something by destroying it yeah
1: that's what I was and that's that's what I was sitting around waiting to figure out.
2: Yeah, and I think um, I think
1: because uh, he's a revelation. So, he's about he's going to reveal something to him. So I'm like, what is he going to reveal? That's that's what yeah. I want to know. I mean, I, I know we know at the end he's going to reveal who he really is, but there's got to be more to it than that, you know. Otherwise, he's just going to reveal, hey, and then this guy's going to be like, oh, you're you. Look how wonderful you are, and just like everybody else, he'll fall to his knees. And I'm like, I don't see that as the end of. I don't see that where as where this book is going to go. Already, I don't see that as where this is going to go. Sure. Otherwise, the clock would already be t- would already be chiming, you know, yeah. as soon as he walked in, the, the clock would have chimed to give, you know, might as well give it up right there, you know. So, yeah.
2: Um, uh, and one thing here, I mean, we've talked before, um, I, I believe, you know, Graham's an atheist and, and things that, that go along with that. But to write this book um, – to talk for a priest, but also to maintain a little bit of the mystery and then essentially to hide your own beliefs in writing out someone else's beliefs is always going to be difficult. Yeah. Uh, and I, I feel there are points in this where I can see him trying to do that and there are points in it where I can see his real kind of beliefs coming through, but in the end, I think he does okay with it.
1: Um, I've seen people who don't, believe in these things try to write for priests and do way way worse than this
2: exactly i, I don't think anyone w- with something that's so personal so strong as a personal belief i don't think anyone will ever do it brilliantly it would take a special special kind of person but i think graham does it pretty well
1: no he does a really good job i think and as i mean I've, I've, he's I've, fair yeah he's exactly you know I mean I've never i think i I know I've you know uh, dude I was raised Roman Catholic I'm pretty much as you know i'm 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 pretty much th- I'm you know I'm this guy in the church you know <laughs> I mean yeah I really am and and I read this and I wasn't even offended by it you yeah, know seen, and, I mean and I've I know pe- you can be i mean people can write yeah I mean you don't know how many times I watch movies and I go to things and people always try to portray. And it's always and it's always a Catholic priest. He's always got the collar. It's always a Catholic priest. And they're always just really horrible, horrible human beings, right? They always portray yeah. the way here he, here he portrays him as a man of faith. He may be delusional. He may be deluded. Any of that stuff. You can portray that stuff as you want, but he doesn't portray him as flat. He doesn't portray him as um, you know, as not having any depth of character and or or
2: intelligence.
1: Yeah, he doesn't yeah, 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 doesn't portray as 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 a dimwit. He doesn't portray him as as evil or any of that stuff. He it, he just portrays him as as a man of fate. And I think he did a really good job of it because as I read it even I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. Um
2: I I forgive some of the clunkiness. There's a couple of bits where it's a bit clunky, but I I think that's going to happen. And like I said, I've um, seen
1: way way clunkier on things, yeah. you know. Uh it's, I could bring it up, but that's it would go so off topic, but in different yeah, exactly. terms and things yeah, um,
2: so we get, um, yeah, this is the first point, So Revelations claiming, you know, that the wanting to hold on to, yeah, wanting degree. to hold on to these beliefs is obstinate, you know, obstinate, uh, faith is dangerous, uh, the classic kind of, these atrocities are, are done in, in the name of faith. Uh, and you can see, I like, kind of, you can feel that, you know, uh, that Uriah's been through these conversations before and uh, he knows that, this guy's not even looking for answers.
1: Yeah, before <laughs> like, they're not go, looking for answers. Before they go back to the vestry, there are some yeah, there's some cool stuff here. You have an opinion and I have mine and it's cool. Um I love though the when they're talking about the artwork, and he says how it doesn't prove anything divine. And he sits there and says, I always thought it was uh there was an element of jealousy when people invoke the divine to explain this stuff away. And he's like, What do you mean? He goes you know he goes it's a jealous person who doesn't believe that a human a normal average person just like them could do something so amazing you know i can't do it so nobody could do it, something this good on their own it must be some sort of a god it's a it's a really clever interesting argument there you know it's a, and then he's like that's a really cynical view of humanity elements of it yeah like yeah. you know it's just he's very cynical on human motivation you know and and what they do and it's just really you know, and then that's when he's like, you know, this has been an interesting conversation, but you you must excuse me. I've got a congregation coming. I'm, I am I'm really got to start mass. He's like, nope. No, you don't. No one's coming.
2: And <laughs> you're like, what?
1: Well, and then that's when he, he sighs. Why are you really here? This is the last church on Terra. History will soon be done with places like this, and I want a memory of it before it's gone. And I, I think about that. This is the last church on the planet. And I just try to wrap my head around that for a second because I literally I can't drive to work without passing dozens. You know, I mean, there are literally dozens of churches I pass on my way to work, and it's only a fifteen-mile drive.
2: And that's not just churches, yeah.
1: I mean, but uh, yeah, but I mean, just, temples,
2: mosques, exactly. Yeah you're, yeah, you're right. Yeah.
1: And this is the last church, and I know, I, I know, I'm, I'm just, con, con, I'm just conflating church with any sort of, you know, place of worship. Because I'm assuming that when they call this the last church, they are meaning any sort of place of worship since he's turning the whole planet secular. He's not just getting rid of churches. He's getting rid of mosques and temples and every other, you know, you know, little, you know, Wiccan stick man, you know, place out in the woods, too. And the whole size of the planet and everything he's done, he's managed. This is the last there aren't any churches anywhere. I it's like I can't even wrap my head around that idea, and I know yes, there's been times before I couldn't wrap my head around ideas, but just to think that there aren't any—they're all gone.
2: It's very alien, isn't it? It's
1: it's a. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't picture it. I can't think of it. You know, um. So he invites him back into the vestry in the back, and they're sitting back there, and he brings out some of his, uh, his good red wine. And they're sitting and they're drinking and they're talking about stuff. Um, and I love his. I love. Um, Revelation is sitting there wearing those utilitarian clothes that everybody wears. You know, because in the future everybody wears the same gray clothes. You know, it's yeah, just simpler. Right. Uh, he looked just like everyone else, except his clothes were immaculately clean. Like his clothes were perfectly clean. It's like, oh, okay. Yep. There's another little drop right there. Yeah. Um. Now he does. They do. They do have a little back and forth here, talking about faith and talking about belief. And revelation does insult him a little bit.
2: Yeah, and 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 that's where I was kind of going. You know, yeah. it, the response is that you haven't come here for answers. Have you just come to provoke me? Because if you have, I've I've had you know I've done this before. <laughs> just don't bother. You you come here to destroy the church and you know yeah. get on with it. <laughs> But yeah, no, it's a nice little piece. Again, that was that was a nice bit where it's like yeah, this guy's, yeah, this guy's been in this position before, and and there's no talking to a guy who's absolute in his belief of no belief system,
1: <laughs> right? And then uh, he takes him to go see the holy stone. And he's like, you know, this is it. This is the lightning stone. And he's so proud of it. It's right here. It's the lightning stone. He's like, so why is this holy? Was it put here on the ground by your God? You know, was a holy man martyred here? Did some girl receive a revelation praying here? And he's like, nope. And he basically talked about a holy man took shelter from the storm here. It was struck by a bolt of lightning. He was lifted up and saw the stone wreathed in a blue fire in which he saw the face of the creator and heard his voice. Didn't you say he was deaf and blind? He was, but the power of God cured him. He immediately ran back to the village, told the people of the miracle, and then he returned to the lightning sword and he sort of instructed them to build a church around it. The story of its healing soon spread, and within a few years thousands were crossing the Silver Bridge to visit the shrine. So this is uh you know, he goes you know, it's in the revelation's like it's you know, healing people? It what It cured diseases, broken limbs. I love the broken. That's always diseases. You know, people could say I was sick and I'm cured. Wait, could it? it, If you had a broken arm, did it fix broken arms? Those are the you know. Can it fix something obvious to my to my sight that I can see was obviously broken? Well, the records say it did. And he basically turned around and starts in Revelation, just starts explaining scientifically what this stone is made of and how lightning hitting it could have given this guy back his sight or his hearing or any of these types of things could have affected it And he yeah. starts rolling through all the scientific explanations of how this is science this is not this is not a miracle unless of course you don't understand science and then it totally looks like a miracle yeah it's,
2: again yeah it's another interesting one um, yeah there's a bit of a yeah it's quite a mocking tone in that as well right uh, but he, Uriah manages not to rise too much to it.
1: Yeah. He just tell basically tells him it's a there's a real malicious streak in you if you want to destroy my faith. And he's like, I'm not being malicious. I'm explaining to you how this could have happened without any godly power.
2: Yeah. Um, and he you know, his response is, yeah, but you know, I've got personal experience. I've seen my God.
1: Yeah, and that's where it comes down to. He's it. like, I've seen him myself, you know you know it's far more likely explanation he basically said like, look but my explanation makes perfect sense without having to just believe that the and i can i can't explain it you can't you're just saying oh it just happens because we can't but i can't explain it doesn't my explanation make more sense because i can't explain it well no and that's when, yeah i've seen god himself so it's he's not blind faith it's his, he he is not You know just blindly following a faith He's had a personal revelation Uh, And that's when he explains The story about uh, When uh,
2: Yeah he saw his um, God at Guadier.
1: Yeah and I like when he's When uh, And he finally does snap a little bit. Revelation is left. If a man claimed his dead grandfather was speaking to me, he'd be locked up in asylum. But if he were to claim the voice of God was speaking to him, his fellow clerics might make him into a saint. Clearly there's safety in numbers when it comes to hearing voices, huh? And that's when he finally, this is my faith you're talking about. Show some damn respect. And he's like, what do you get? That's where he's like, what do you you deserve special treatment? And he's like, I've seen it. I've seen it. And then uh, so they go back to the. They're going back to the room. He's going to tell them the story. Yeah, I uh, mean,
2: that that respect thing is an interesting one because that's brought up in in real life as it is anyway. But um, it's like, should we not be showing everyone respect anyway? This is, you know, as we know, this is the emperor of mankind uh, who's talking to someone who's been here, done this job. Um, you You can still disagree and you can still argue and everything else, but he's this personal kind of... Um, inability uh, to respond with with anything but kind of mocking or anger is quite a kind of a detriment, I think, to the character.
1: Yeah, it is. And that's... Yeah.
2: But, yeah, it's just an interesting one to see it react that way, you know.
1: Well, and I think part of that has to do with something that he knows that we don't, no, yeah, you know, yeah. um, and we don't realize that yet. It's still mean. I mean, he is kind of toying with him here a little bit, and it's just it seems he's trying to. Well, and it, it, I think there's part of it is that is that frustration. You know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be logical. I'm trying to just, I'm trying to explain this. You know, it's, it's like someone really smart trying to explain something to a child, and the kid just like, nope, don't want to hear it. And he's like, you know, he's getting frustrated.
2: He's also not necessarily doing it in particularly the right way. No, not it's a, at all. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting kind of dynamic. And this is where, you know, both sides of this party come off well and poorly in different parts of the story. You do get a cool. great
1: part, though, where uh, Revelation goes to sit in the chair. Yeah. And the chair creaks way more than it should. Yeah. Underneath. He's like, well, he's not particularly bulky. That chair is making a lot more noise for someone yeah. of his size sitting. And it's like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> I read, We read a couple of stories where guys went, and it, it, I forget which story it was, but uh, somebody came in and it wasn't. Uh, oh, what is it? Uh, which story were they doing the? Oh, was it, it was the end of a Blood Games where they were had the little things yeah. on it. Yeah, I'm like, oh, okay, there you go. So <laughs> the guy tells his story, and basically, he was at this battle. Revelation uh, agrees that, oh, that was a bloody horrible battle, and he looks at He like, quit playing with me. He's like, I was there. I was young, and I'm way older than you. There's no way you know what it was like that day. And he's like, Don't no, trust me, I know what it was like that day. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay. So basically, I mean, long story short, he gets in the middle of this battle, and they get their asses handed to them by the uh, by the emperor's troops. Right? Yeah. It basically comes down to that their army's destroyed, and it is not routed, not put to flight, destroyed. In less than an hour, 50,000 men and women had been killed. Um, He's crying, all this stuff was going on, and uh, he's the only survivor, apparently, and He was crying and all that, and all of a sudden, the power of the divine. I looked up and I saw a golden face above me, a face of such radiance and perfection. My tears were no longer shed for pain but for beauty. Light surrounded this figure. I averted my eyes for fear I'd be blinded. I'd been in pain, but now that pain was gone, and I knew I was seeing the face of the divine. I couldn't describe that face to you, not with all the poetic images and all the world at my disposal, but it was the most exquisite thing I'd ever seen. I felt myself lifted up, and I thought this was the end for me, and then the face spoke to me, and I knew I was destined to live. What did he say to you? Uriah smiled. He said, why do you deny me? Accept me, and you will know that I am the only truth and the only way. And he couldn't respond to him. You know, I was I was stilled by this awesome vision of God. Revelations, like, what makes you think that was God? Didn't you, uh, you know, don't, haven't you read about how your brain's ability to perceive things when you're not well, when you're hurt, and stuff like that? And uh, he's like, nope, it was God.
2: Yeah, that whole kind of, you go from, you know, his whole reason for leaving was because of the tyranny of the emperor and everything else. And then you get to this point where, you know, we know he he saw the emperor there um, and believes it to be his god.
1: Well, well even why do you deny me? That's, I mean, that's literally – I yeah. mean, that's stuff. I mean, that's right yeah, out of the Bible. You, yeah. So, you know – Why do
2: you deny me? And then yeah, yeah, all, all those little lines. I am – you know, basically, I'm the only way uh, and, and all that. Yeah, it's, it's all the Bible. But it comes back again on, well, this imperial truth is to have no gods. And yet, if he sounds like a god, looks like a god, speaks like a god, smells like a god <laughs> – Chances are he's a God. Right. (laughs) And yet, he still wants people to deny him, which is always going to be tricky.
1: Yeah, so, you know, then he was healed, and it was like, oh, you know, I, I, you know. Then I saw the Church of the Stone, and I knew I found my purpose. I was healed. I was stumbling around. I was not well. And then I saw this church, and I knew, this is what I'm here to do, be the guy at this church and, and proclaim his word. And so that's what he's been doing ever since that. Why would you deny me? Don't you just follow me? And he sa- he saw it and he did it. Yeah. And so that's his huge story and it works, you know? Um, and then revelation decides to tell a story. Um, uh, you want to take this story? Do you have well, this part? Yeah.
2: Or- I mean, yeah, there's, there's, all, there's quite a lot going on in this book, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I do like the fact that Rev's return, you know, his parents are dead, um, and Revelation has the ability to admire admire Uriah's ability to, you know, let God judge the killers of his family.
1: Oh, that's right. I forgot. Oh, that's right. I totally skipped that, didn't I? I totally did. I'm sorry. That's
2: right. There is so much in this book we could sit here for quite a long time doing
1: it all yeah i have that written Um, here and i totally missed it that's right after god healed him he was content that he would punish his family's killers without him having to do it it was no longer yeah he didn't need to do that that wasn't his place
2: yeah which is you know something i think that maybe is a little alien to the rest of the world at this time um but yeah as you say the emperor then goes on to to tell his story um (laughs) <laughs> Which is a, 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 one religious group, um, you know, believe another's purposefully defiled an area. And from there on, a, a war is fought, um, killing thousand people. Uh, kind of the example being where, where religion is strong, it causes cruelty. Intense beliefs cause cruelty. Um, right. You're missing the point, yeah. Revelation. Much of the text is not meant to be taken literally. It's symbolic or allegorical. Revelation snapped his fingers. That's exactly my point. You pick and choose which bits of your book to take literally and which to read as symbolic, and that choosing is a matter of personal decision, not divinity. Trust me, in ages past, a frightening number of people took their holy books absolutely literally, causing untold misery and death because they truly believed the words they read. The history of religion is a horror story, Uriah, and if you doubt it, just look at what humanity has done in the name of their gods over the millennia. I mean... Yeah. That's kind of a powerful point, uh, which could actually be looked at again in in this instance as we go through into the Great Crusade, um, and some right. people could even some people could even point that finger at many secular societies as well. Right. So yeah,
1: it's
2: it's an interesting kind of take on you know how how, yeah. how arguments can be made and everything else.
1: Uh, You got uh, Revelations view here Worst of all, the hunt for any that escaped the siege Led to the establishment of an organization Known as the Inquisition A dreadful, monstrous plague of hysteria That gave its agents free reign To stretch, burn, pierce, and break their victims Oh, the Inquisition's a monstrous thing Okay (laughs) Yeah, I agree Yeah, it's pretty scary Yeah Uh, yeah, Looking to pick out heresy It's a terrible, scary thing
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, yeah the, the, and this is where he does quite well, you know, the hypocrisy that we see later in the Imperium uh, yeah. of these kind of things. But, yeah, he, that's a, he but that's a up,
1: great little part where he's where Revelation is pointing out and naming things that wind up yeah. being a huge part of the, the 40K universe.
2: The, the crusade.
1: Yeah. <laughs> he's it's pointing
2: it. out the crusades, you know, yeah. of, of warriors riding up to their knees on horseback in blood. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting round. But it also gives him a clue of how long he's been around. Yeah, you know, if you aren't sure who you're talking about now, <laughs> you really should be getting an idea. Um, um,
1: right. I mean, there's know, again,
2: again, we get Uriah pointing back then you know, to move on a little bit. Yeah, many violacs have been undertaken with no recourse to faith. Uh, but the part of the argument centred on is the comforting nature of faith, which is easily pushed aside. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it's not. You know, his viewpoint is humanity does this um, and humanity has always done it.
1: Right. Like the hell, you know, like I'm going to tell you these stories and you know, when he starts telling him his stories about all the other religions and all the horrible things they do, you know, I'll tell you and I'll, I'll let you see my point. Oh, and then you'll be on your way. <laughs> Revelation, we both know that's not how this is going to end. <laughs> and he's like, yep, we do. You know, like, I had to at least ask. Yep. Too
2: right. Yeah. Um, And we get, you know, kind of, are you ready to die? Which is an interesting one. I don't think he was ready for the answer. Was mm, Yeah, cool. Not afraid of death. I'm fine. Uh, I have my share of sins, but I've spent many life in the service of my God and believe I've served him functionally well. And why then don't people welcome life? And it's like, well, come on, seriously. I mean, everyone's allowed doubts, aren't they?
1: Right, exactly.
2: Like, you know, you, you can believe something utterly and, and still doubt it when it comes to push comes to shove on that. But we start to push towards the end. We do get um, Uriah's praying, kind of given the chance. Right. You know, the Lord of Mankind is the light in the way, and all his actions are the benefit of mankind, which is his people. So it is taught in the holy words of our order, and above all things, God will protect change a few words around in there put the emperor will protect on the end right <laughs> again there's another highlight of you know the judo-christian viewpoint that's been uh tailored to fit with the imperial creed
1: yeah and he just gets down to it you know there's uh you know i don't care what you say anymore he's like there's no you know, he's praying there's no one no one no one's hearing you there's no one to hear your prayers I don't care what you say anymore. You're just here to do this. Let's end it. Okay, as you wish, no more games. And then all of a sudden the light glows and all the light happens. And he turns himself and there's the wondrous figure standing before him. Gone was Revelation. And in his place was a towering warrior of explicit splendor. And it's, you know, he'd seen him once before on the killing fields at uh, Godar. He like, you, now do you understand the futility of what, so his vision is, was the, that's the emperor who he saw. He didn't see God. He had, he was the only survivor of this battle, and as the emperor was surveying the field, the emperor went to the one person who was still alive and healed him and said, hey, you know, stop fighting me. Why are you fighting me? And, uh, so now he's like, now do you understand how futile what you're doing is? You're the emperor? Yes, I am, and it's time to go. Go where? There's nowhere for me to go in this godless world of yours. Of course there is. Embrace the new way and be part of something incredible. And is just like, ugh. Oh. And so he goes, and they basically, as it comes towards the end here, they're going to start to burn the church down. You know, there's, he goes outside with him, and there's, uh, he goes outside with them, and there's, uh, yeah, the dreams.
2: lines and lines of the, um, yeah. the Thunder Warriors, yeah, yeah. the Warriors he saw, uh, Gudan. Um, uh, it's brilliant because at the point where it's he's given in, and you know the Emperor's like, "No, we're gonna does this big speech." Is the point he most looks like a god in the whole thing, right? <laughs> As he's walking out and doing everything with it, which is brilliant. Um, but yeah, he, he pulls him out. You know, his dream of uh, his dream of an Imperium of man that's. Exist without recourse to gods and the supernatural, and so like, what makes you better than I? The difference is I know I'm right,
1: yeah. which
2: isn't that isn't that fundamental to almost uh, the argument for all the re- religions on on earth.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. How can you do this? You you say you're for the reason and the advancement of understanding, but you're here destroying a repository of knowledge. Some things are best left forgotten. Now, I, hope you, I hope you've foreseen the consequences of a world bereft of religion. I have. It's my dream. You know, it's like, I totally have seen it that way. Yeah, and it's like you said, I know I'm right. Spoken like a true autocrat. You misunderstand. I have, the nar- I have seen the narrow survival path that is all that stands between humanity and extinction. And this is the way it must begin.
2: Yeah. So that shows, again, where we talked about the Emperor a number of episodes ago. Um, he has foresight of some kind. He has a plan of some kind. And he knows that, you know, he talks about uh, the narrow survival path. So, you know, when you're on a narrow path, it only takes one degree for you to come off of it very quickly. So, and he, yeah.
1: And he gets a glimpse of what the emperor really is. Too. And I love this part. This guy who has faith. This guy who's supposed to be sort of blinded by his faith. He can see the emperor for who he really is. So many people see the emperor in this book, and they just they just fall to their knees, and they're like, "Oh, he's the emperor. He's so wonderful." Every yeah. once in a while, you get a guy like in um, you know, the, like the guy who could see the cabal, John what's John Grammaticus? Yeah, you know, and he's like, and I saw him, and I hated him. You know, because like, like he's awful. And here it's like Uriah looks in the emperor's face and even he warns him. He's like, what are you going to do? He goes, you, you take away what people want and they're going to want it more, be, you know, and especially someone like you. They're going to worship you if you take away all the other gods. He tells him that, you know. Yeah. Uh, he absolutely. looks in the emperor's face as he spoke. Now seeing past the glamours and the magnificence to the heart of an individual who had lived a thousand lifetimes and walked the earth for longer than could be imagined. He saw the ruthless ambition and the molten core of violence at the Emperor's heart. In that instant, Uriah knew he wanted nothing to do with anything this man had to offer, no matter how noble or lofty his ambitions might be. Ah, uh, I hope you're right, but I dread the future you're forging for humanity. You know, and it's just like, oh boy, and that's you know, so many times people see him and they're just Every time you see him for what he is, like they see to that core, they see past all the glowing and the and the beauty and all that it 's just terrifying what you see this guy i mean you 've got to be ruthless if you 're going to you know forge a path for all of humanity you know oh, to, yeah. no matter what you 've got to be ruthless i mean you talk about people you know leading humanity today just you know the different politicians and businessmen and people like this these people are considered ruthless and they're just leading small corporations and small countries here's a guy who's leading the entirety of humanity down a path of his own decision you know without without uh, you know the 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 benefit of saying hey i was elected or i was put here or people asked me to do this You've got, you know, he's got to be the, one of the most ruthless and and frightening beings around. It's just, it's it's great when you get these little images in there like that. Yeah,
2: definitely. Um, yeah, and his final act is to to turn around and walk back into the church.
1: Yeah, uh, they're burning it. They're starting to burn it. Yeah. And he's like, screw it. I'm going to go in there and I'm going to I'm going to die with my church. I I I still believe in this thing, even even though my vision was messed up because it was you that doesn't change what I believe.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And the last sound we hear is the chiming of the bell.
1: Yeah. They're all standing out there watching it. The ruins of the church smoldered and the emperor turned away. Come, we have a galaxy to conquer. Yeah.
2: yeah. Boom.
1: <coughs> so what's the what is the what does the what does the chiming of the clock symbolize, though? Is it just the end? He said he told them it, it would chime at the end of the world. Is it just when the old man cursed him, is it the end of Uriah's world? The end of the world as we knew it? Because that world did end. When that church was destroyed, that world ended. You know, yeah, Earth, yeah. Earth as we knew it, with that final church going, ended as we knew it. You know, like so. There's a lot of ends you could put in there without it being, you know, the doom of all of mankind happened right there. It could be a, a something much more smaller and personal, as the doom of the person who stole the clock and was cursed, or just a, a shift. I mean, it's it, it's still heavy handed. I was waiting for that damn clock, but but uh, it you know. <laughs>
2: Read what you want to into it, I think.
1: Exactly. And I, so I still, I still, the way he used it, I didn't mind it as much. Just as you were walking away, you heard the clock ticking or the clock chiming because it, after all those different revelations happened and his decision to go back inside, it kind of, it kind of worked actually. Even though in the beginning, I'm like, oh, come on.
2: Yeah, it, it, it's a really interesting one to say. There are, Couple of people got in contact with us actually and i know a few people who, who don't like it who won't read it um, but i think the majority it's fine for it raises questions um it certainly even in the moments where it puts down one point of view you're showing the hypocrisy or 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 the the blind belief from the other side of the point of view so you can certainly look at both sides and, and Pull out kind of issues per se, um, and as I say, for for someone who, who you know, who, they're going to have their own point of views, and I think think Graham's fairly strong on that aspect of it. Um, it's done quite well.
1: Yeah, because no, you can you I'm can read
2: that, it. and I, I'm sure whichever point of view you have coming into it, you're going to be able to see your point of view put across.
1: Yeah, like I said, I. I um you know i don't know I don't think we ever addressed this uh i because I, I just I generally don't bring it up, but when I first started reading some of this stuff the the rampant anti religious sort of sentiment in this secular world and how great it was to be free from the shackles of religion and stupidity, it did bug me when I first was reading this as a guy who you know tends to get up and go to church on Sunday morning and believe a lot of this type of thing. Um you know, it did bug me. And, you know, part of it was like, well, you know what, it's just, it is just, it, that's the story of this world and what happens and, and how these things work. And, you know, uh, this particular story, I, I, you know, it made its points for both sides of the argument. And then that's what, I think that's what it was meant to do. And, you know, this guy didn't lose his faith. He went and and had his faith and had it. Yeah, maintained
2: yeah. his respect, maintained his. You know, ability to discuss in in the face of someone who was going to push him. The Emperor got his points of view across. Um,
1: I mean, in the end, the Emperor gets his way, but he doesn't come off like, you know, he doesn't come off as the good guy. Again, he doesn't come off as the good guy in this. Um, No, absolutely. You know, the other guy doesn't win either. He doesn't come off as a martyr or anything like that. He sort of comes off as a bit, you know... There's parts of him that are i it's obvious well geez, okay, my revelation wasn't real, but I'll still read from what I want. I think it was pretty well crafted. I think it was even handed for a uh a, a story that grabbed a subject that was pretty that you had to know was going to be touchy,
2: yeah,
1: like I don't know who came up with the idea of let's write the story about the emperor getting rid of the last church on the planet. But you had to know, even coming up with that, that you know, you know, they could have just yeah. not written this story if they were that you know. But it, it, yeah, it, absolutely, you know. But they did, and they did it in a way that was, I think, was pretty even-handed. Um, and I'm not, like I said, I'm not just saying that to to be a fanboy or anything like that. Uh, if if I did find it offensive, I would have said something about it. But I thought it was pretty even-handed uh, uh yeah. you know for, for what it was so I, I i did enjoy it pretty much so diamond all right last break and then we'll come back uh with really just oh. uh, such a great story um yeah. I, I i really like well we'll talk about it when we get back i really enjoy these uh World Eater stories, uh, though yeah. that they that they write. So we'll be right back with uh, after uh, Duchet
0: Hi, I'm Graham McNeil. I'm the author of False Gods, and this is After Eleanor.
1: We are back uh, after Deshaies by Matthew Ferrer or Farrer. I don't, do you know how to pronounce this guy's name? I, I don't know uh, this author.
2: Math, Matthew Farrer.
1: Matthew Farrer. Yeah. Okay. That sounds better. I uh, would
2: pronounce it after Dachea.
1: Oh, is after DeShea? Okay.
2: That's how I would pronounce it. Um,
1: oh, okay. Yeah. But I will I, defer to I'm, you on the pronunciation. Anyway, uh, hey I, I might just be mispronouncing it because I got a cold. I, I probably sound weird anyway. I'm so congested. It's stupid. Good excuse.
2: Good excuse. Uh, um, so, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll dive straight in again to this one. I think so. We're on the bi- uh, on a on a ship of the Warhounds Legion, uh, which will become, I say, that the World Eaters. Khan standing amongst uh, a number of other kind of key guys and. Dragar, particularly, telling him that you don't have to do this, dude. Um, It's He, as the eighth company captain, he's the the current ranking officer aboard due to the fact uh, a number of others have been um, dealt with. Uh, We've got this silent ship. These hunters stood in front of a cave, as it were. Some great beast is in this cave. And um, people are worried that Khan's not going to come out from... From this task he is kind of put to do, but he's the experienced one, and he will do it. And then we get this big beastial roar. So it's just like, what the hell's going on in this place? <laughs> really, this is crazy. But we find out the beast is their
1: Primarch. Um, right. I like. There's a little bit here that I kind of underlined. Um, they're talking about uh, Drager's skin carried the scent of a scouring gel, but underneath it, coming off his skin, was the scent of adrenaline and the inhuman essences that the Astartes body made for himself when danger instincts rang. And I'm like, and I, I just I underline I wrote down what, like the it, it, the inhuman essences that it made when danger instincts rang. What the I what that's not just adrenaline; it's other stuff. I, I just. And I Combat get it, stems. yeah, all that other stuff. I was like, you know, sometimes they just mention things like that that I never think about, you know. And it's like, yeah, it's, and I, I mean, I know in my head that they're not human, you know, they're not just really large humans, like super, you know, just, brill-
0: but sure, yeah.
1: Sometimes you just think of them that way. Like I can't help but think of them as really large humans, you know, <laughs> because that's that's sort of the the you know the the basis the base material you know so when they mention stuff like that it always sort of sh- sort of shocks me i guess into that whole mode of oh yeah i mean i love i'm only mentioning it because i love when they throw things like that in there just that reminding you how different they are in these just these little ways without just you know without hitting you over the head with it and it's just it's pretty clever
2: yeah it is awesome um yeah we got um, we've got Angron in held in this place, brought up uh, to the to them by the emperor, uh, and you know he would only a- allow the. Uh, we've got basically we've got a string of guys to go in and try and pacify Angron, who's who's been torn from from the world that, that he was fighting on. Uh, and they had. They, these guys had stood and watched while others had discovered their Primarch, and now it's their turn, and they go in willingly, which is <laughs> a surprising bit, really. Um, they really are desperate to try and save their Primarch. Um We've got.
1: So they're going in g- there, and they 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 basically they want to talk to him. They want to get him to to take his place, right?
2: Yeah, to to to, to lead them. They, they, and they, he's yeah, just des- killing them. And he's just destroying them. So he, we, he's already gone through a number of them. Um, and, and as I say, we're down to Khan as the leader of the eighth, is the, is the next ranking officer who's there. So he feels it's his duty to do it.
1: And I, I will say this, having only seen Khan before in the initial trilogy, yeah. and, and he came across as sort of a cartoon. And a lot of times world leaders can come across as sort of a cartoon.
2: Yeah, this was the first book to change that really. Yeah, this was that I loved
1: this. This was so cool. I mean, it's just it and I mean, he's Karin is clever and brave and maybe a little stupid, you know. <laughs> but is you know, you know when you're walking into the I'm like, "Oh, man, that's not the brightest move to walk in there, but hey, it's it's what he's got to do." You know, it may be dumb, but it's his job and he's got to go in there and it's uh it's it's great. This uh, just everything about this story I really enjoyed
2: yeah this shows the honor of the Legion particularly Khan you know he's like um, the commander of the warhounds will meet the primarch of the warhounds and that and what happens will be as the primarch wills it but it's like you know we need this guy to come and lead us again for the Empress you know the Emperor wants it we want it Um, but there's also a bit of humor in there because Draegar's like don't go don't go yeah let me go in your place he's like I don't suppose it'll be too long before he works his way down to you anyway (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Khan go is going in and knowing that the chances are he's going to be killed as well. Um but eventually he, he walks in nice and slowly in into the darkness um with this aftermath of death, the smell uh and, and everything all around him. Um yeah, it must be really weird. Basically walking as he thinks um Into a charnel pit,
1: yeah. And it's so funny, because in the Emperor's wisdom, he has laid this jo- duty on our shoulders. So wait a minute. The Emperor got Angron, and Angron is a complete maniac at this point. So he sticks yes. him on the point and says, you deal with this. And and leaves. Uh, and they're like, in the Emperor's wisdom, he has left us to handle this. I'm just like, okay. I,
2: I, yeah, I, I don't think that the Angron, uh, Angron would talk to
1: the Emperor. Probably not. And I don't... And once again, okay... Coming from a point of view where I only know about this through this story. I really don't know. I've never read a World Eaters book outside of this. Um, I don't know the story outside of this story. In fact, I do have questions because I didn't bother to go research and, and dig up more. Sure. That's not that's that's not my job on this show. My job on this show is to read as we're going along and not necessarily go do more research. But I'm the guy who asks the questions. Um And I do have a few questions. Um, So, yeah, he goes and finds him. This is a really weird sort of homecoming, though. It's very different from the others we've seen thus far. Oh,
2: yeah. Yeah, big time. Um, Um, Angron's a very different beast, as it were. Um, I I do like the fact, just before they went in there, there there's one thing I forgot to say. Um, The world eaters have already been kind of censored for their bloodthirsty nature. Uh, they'd been banned. They uh, had to be banned by the emperor for decimating allies who had disgraced them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, no, I wrote, no, that. I, I marked that too. So no they, one wants to be their friends. Yeah, basically, no. and what is it? Now they didn't call it the IG back then. What did they? But the,
2: uh, you've got the imperial army. You've got, yeah, the uh, imperial
1: uh, army. If the imperial army showed up and fought alongside them and didn't fight well enough, they would kill them <laughs> because they were just. Dis- that was a disgraceful bit of fighting. So they would kill them too. And it's like, I could just see the Emperor. Hey, I sent these guys to fight with you. What are you killing them for? They didn't fight hard enough. So you kill them?
2: Yeah. Yes. So even, just, yeah, even without their prime they've got a reputation.
1: So Karn goes down into this place and.
2: And he's just he's, he's struck straight away. Oh, yeah. In the darkness, he struck uh, too quickly to get a look at what struck him. Um, only, only just about realizing in turn that you know that he's got more blows coming. So he kind of manages to half defend himself eventually. But yeah, he's slammed into a wall, and Angron screaming at him, "Fight! Fight me!" Um, I wonder if the it,
1: other guys even tried to like if they uh, you know because he's hey, my Primarch is telling me what to do. Maybe if they tried to prove themselves or something like that, maybe that's what he's thinking, you know? I think
2: I think a few do give in um before that,
1: yeah. And, I think we see a little bit of that. And Karn is clever enough. I mean he's you know, he's really showing say, No, I'm. Um, you're my Primark. I would never raise my hand to you. You are my Primark. And it's and it's the it's the it's the move that saves his life ultimately. Yeah, it's just this yeah. this obstinate. No, I won't fight you. You're my Primarch. I won't raise my hand against my father. Basically, you're, you know.
2: Yeah, I mean, Khan. Remember at this time as well, Khan's never met like, his Primarch. He doesn't know what the limitations are. He's probably not met another Primarch, um, and even if he has, they are different and everything else. Uh, and this is his first chance of seeing this guy. So he's, you know, this crude cranial implants that are coming out of his head, a bit like dreadlocks, they're betrayed you know, right. sometimes. Um, and yet under that, seeing his regal, bright, honourable assets, even while he's raging. It's like, you know, what's happened to this guy? Uh, and he's there trying to work out kind of, what can he do? Um, don't really know what his limitations. He could just pulp me in a second. Could he do this? Could he do that?
1: Right, and I think Uh, he mentioned that they were there when, you know, they had gone into some of the fights when they had found some of the other Primarchs, so they had seen him, but you this, yeah, yeah, even then the face of a general to follow unto death, the face of a teacher at whose feet the wise would fight to sit, the face of a king made for the adoration of world, the face of a Primarch, and rage made it the face of a beast, you know, he's talking about now the anger in his eyes and all the, 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 the rage and stuff like that, um, it's just uh it's great and, and there's you know Angron in there you know I can see you're made to spill blood just like me you're not born normal any more than I was you know it's it's weird because I I have a, I have trouble figuring out Angron I mean he's a primarch he can't be a complete moron I mean they have decent brains in them you know uh, and well, I, and I realize Angron's
2: not allowed to use his brain <laughs> at the end of the day yeah the 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 butcher's uh, nails in his in his head are
1: inhibiting him now, i now, i do have well. questions about that and i've marked it somewhere because he actually calls them butcher's nails somewhere and i know i've read about this can you just can, can you please for anyone else who might be listening what are yeah, what what is the what are they
2: it goes deeper into it in other books but uh, angron um landed on a planet where the highborns or the high riders i think they're called um have uh, Gladiatorial pits for pleasure, and to maintain the excitement of these fights, they, they implant these butchers' nails into uh, their gladiators, and essentially, any time they're not causing pain, it it causes them pain. So it's constant, you know, neural pain, uh, which only is satiated by doing violence.
1: Okay, so anytime.
2: Yeah. The whole time, basically, the whole time, yeah. they they the anyone with these things in is like is is experiencing some sort of form of pain.
1: Oh, that's kind of crazy. So, like, they're they're just they're done fighting. They go to eat. They're uncomfortable. They're un- and it what is just yeah. the, the longer yeah. the longer the bouts between violence, the the worse it gets. Is
2: that just bring up with the pain for the longer and longer and longer? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not been you know kind of detailed. As we go through various books, you see it described in various books um, going forwards. But yeah, it's it's, this...
1: So that would kind of explain when he starts talking to him and asking him questions, and all of a sudden he's like, and grabbing his head, then he grabs him and slams him against the wall, and he's better again. It's like, I just, I smashed something, I can think again. Like the pain has subsided, and so it slowly builds... So it's not just instant, because uh, that would make no sense. Okay, that kind of makes sense. So this, it's this slowly building, getting worse and worse pain until you do some sort of violence.
2: Or until, yeah, it, yeah I mean, as I say, it's not, particularly with the, the Primarchs, you don't get the absolute details. Because yes. um, if you've got the absolute details, it'll soon break down, I'm sure. So <laughs> Right. Yeah, but it's, it's brilliant. And Angron can't understand why these guys have come unarmed to, to see him. <laughs> yeah, uh, which is again maybe an echo of those, those fighting pits. You know, he, he's programmed to do pain, um, and, <laughs> and he's watching Khan and he kind of misreads the smile in there. You know, he Angron's not someone who's been around uh, the the social niceties of, of things, he's spent his life as a gladiator uh, and then as a Spartacus trying to break in them free, as it were. Um, and he's he just wants to fight. And yet, Khan's sitting there, proud that he's there, kind of without his weapons, you know, facing yeah. off.
1: And he mentions the Emperor, and once he mentions the Emperor, the the Angron starts shaking and howling like an animal, and stuff yeah. like that. Like, oh, he doesn't like the Emperor.
2: No, um, yeah, he throws Khan across the room. He's, he's, yeah, he's judging the Emperor from a poor light. Uh, your murdering bastard commander. <laughs> um.
1: Yeah, Which who makes warriors goes, and who don't make war? You're murdering bastard commander. That's who, yeah. I've got question marks all over these pages when I'm writing here. Yeah. I'm like, what
2: is going on? So, so it might be worth explaining. Um, Angron was on this planet, as I say. He he's their Spartacus. He broke He made a, a gladiatorial revolt. Yeah, he um, was a slave. I'm,
1: I'm gathering, right? Yeah, like a, a, yeah he was a slave.
2: A, yeah, a gladiatorial slave only for fighting. Amongst all these other people, they eventually broke free. They had these running fights with the high riders. They escaped up into the mountains and they were waiting for um, the high riders to come and kill them, basically. And it was going to be their their glorious last stand. And the emperor came down and said, come on, dude, come with me. Save Save the galaxy. And he just went, yeah, that's not happening. I'm standing here and dying with my people. And so on the morning of the, the attack, the Emperor just beamed him up and just went, thank you very much.
1: No, is that what happened? Because it sounds like the Emperor wiped wow. out all these enemies. Like, he wiped them out for him. Like, no, no, I have to fight these guys for the... And the Emperor just like, oh, no, that won't be necessary. And it just seemed like the Emperor wiped everybody out for him and didn't let him get that battle in, didn't let him get that fight in. Um, but well, it also seems that... He He, he, wiped out indiscriminately, including all of his friends. uh, I mean, I've only read this story. I don't have any other things to go on. From what I've read, and and once again, I'm hearing it from Angron's point of view, which is jumbled in between jolts of pain and little bits. It literally sounded like the Emperor came down and just wiped out everybody except Angron, saying, "Uh, there's no more fight to have a fight, so let's go. That's kind of what yes. it seemed like.
2: So seven well-equipped armies surrounded Angron and his starving forces. Just as the battle was about to begin, uh, the fleet arrived. He teleported directly down um, with a few Adeptus uh, custodians. And just as the battle was about to begin, the Emperor teleported Angron against his will back up to the fleet. He could only watch in anguish as those regarded as his brothers and comrades were quickly annihilated, which is from Lex Carnum, which is generally quite good.
1: Okay, um, so yeah,
2: he he was abandoned, and he can never have the death that he wanted. The release as well from the Butcher's Nails, oh. and he he couldn't die with those people that he rescued, who are his you know brothers and sisters essentially. Um, yeah.
1: Oh, so his so those armies did wipe out his his brothers yeah. and sisters, yeah. and, and they would they. Yeah, they were, and, they didn't even get wiped out. I'm assuming later Angron went back and just pummeled the hell out of this planet.
2: Um, yeah, you find out, and uh, it becomes becomes a, a fairly important part of the law as we go on.
1: Okay, I mean, if it's something I'll hear later, you don't have to tell me. If it's something we're going to cover yeah, I'm, later, I'm not going to say. I'm not going to okay, say. Okay, good. No. Yeah, that's fine. Uh. I just I can't see him letting that stand and never going back. So as long as I mean, that makes sense that he doesn't. Um
2: yeah he he sees them as soft he he he's judging these um the marines on his life uh, and he actually sees them as soft specifically pointing out a brain pan that's never been kissed by the butcher's nails um and as you said you know where when he applies damage he he seems to start to heal Angron, on um
1: yeah, I actually have that written there, the brain pen that's never been – I wrote, my lack of knowledge is hurting me here. I just wrote – I have that written right here. I'm like, I have no idea what this means. Um, yeah, I and do- that
2: starts to affect his view of, of what's going on here. He can kind of see kind of the appeal of these warriors without these nails because the other guys had the nails as well. Um, yeah. And he doesn't like the idea of them being his warriors. You know, he's lost his warriors.
1: Um, I did, however, and- like the descriptions of the uh- – of Karn's body taking over stuff. He felt the tickle of pressure as the third lung shifted to higher functioning to take up the shortfall. And a warm sensation as his abdomen and in his abdomen as his ulitic kidney worked on a heightened toxins in his blood. I was always like, am I, am I the only one who finds this stuff still a little bit odd? Like, it's just when they start describing oh, it is, this uh... stuff. It's like, oh. And he can feel it, too. It's just like there's sense... These guys are so hyper aware of stuff. I think that's part of the thing that always surprises me is like you describe that they 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 feel these you know you know I know when I get excited about something or or like my or, you know that the adrenaline starts pumping in my system. I don't feel my glands secreting adrenaline, and the adrenaline start coursing through my veins. And I don't, you know, I don't feel that happening. I just feel the effects. These guys actually feel all of the the, the minutia of the inner workings happening. It's just, it always, it's not weird. I mean, I, it's fine that this is how this works with them. It's just, and I always, I always stop when I read that. I'm like, wow, that's crazy that they that they that they register that minute amounts of detail. You know, that, there's, yeah. that their senses are that finely honed and tuned that they know that these things are happening. It's just crazy to, to me.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah, it's cool and it's easy to forget, like, kind of what's going on inside these bodies as well.
1: Yeah, and then we get these little hints at these traditions. If I were killing you, I'd know your names because you'd have paid me the proper salute. We'd have turned rope together. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, well, uh, you know it yeah, explains we get, um, it later thankfully
2: yeah yeah we get kind of khan suddenly starts to realize um that angron just does not understand <laughs> and he's like okay so how do i how do i go about it it's like okay well you're our leader um and we've already had angron yes you know, say beating himself up to kind of cure himself of this this pain in his head um Khan realises he's got to show honour and a willingness to fight like his guys down on the planet did. Um, And as you say, Angron can't work it out. It's like, you haven't got the nails, you haven't got the rope, you're not indoctrined into this system, why do you want to fight? Um, We get the real brunt of the issue is Angron and the slaves were owes to each other to cut the high riders a scar that would bleed for a hundred years. And he couldn't fulfil that oath. It's not been fulfilled. He wasn't there when they died. He has no real idea what's going to happen. He just can't handle it. Right. He can't he can't even blacken his rope to show his failure, you know, losing in the in the in the pit. Right. Um, he can't commemorate them. Um, there's there's nothing he can do and and he's got they say that, that we finally get the explanation of the rope. It's a, a scar that winds around the body and is expanded with every fight, clean and red for victory. Ash rubbed into it to darken it for a loss. And Ageron is ashamed that he hasn't shown his loss.
1: Yeah. It's um, it's, really, it's it's really quite interesting. And I love that Karn figures some of this stuff out as he's taking his beatings. And just the description oh, of the beatings he's taking, it's like I was expecting, I mean, how his body didn't go into that weird that weird Astartes coma, yeah. I don't know because I've I've heard descriptions of much less of a beating. These guys have slipping into comas before. But just, Angron's upset about his brothers and sisters. And I love how Karn just, you know, address it, uh, acknowledge it, you know. Uh, don't ignore it. Everyone else, I mean, you know, it's like he, he keeps trying to talk to you're our leader, you need to lead us. But he's screaming on and on about his lost brothers and sisters. So he's like, I wish I could have been there. I wish I could have known them. I, I wish I, you know, I wish I knew what you were talking about. You know, sort of. You know, and I don't. I I love to learn. You're going to have to teach me, though. You're my leader. Teach me these things. I do, I want to know these things. You know, these things that have upset you. Um, it it, it Karn's very clever here. Um, by yeah, being em, being empathetic, which you know, it's it's easy to not be empathetic when you're trying to make someone who is raving. Calm down and understand what you're trying to make them understand, and and Khan takes the opposite tack and stops trying to make him understand and tries to understand him.
2: Um. Yeah, absolutely, uh, and, and yeah, it's exactly the opposite of the Khan we knew from 40k and everything else. And this is the start of Khan's journey in the Heresy. Really, I ignore Galaxy and Flames' version of Khan to be honest. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty, as that. you say, it's it's comical um,
1: compared to just, what.
2: What happens here, and what um, Aaron does with him, particularly as well.
1: Seeing when them when they were still heroes.
2: Yeah, oh, big time It's always and really can't, interesting. huge. Yeah, um, I do like so. Yeah, we we kind of in the middle of all that where we're talking about the scars and the ropes and stuff. We do get a little bit. Um, yeah, after the Emperor and some Custodes drop down, kill one though. Spat Angron, rearing up and starting to prowl again. <laughs> Couldn't put my hands on that Emperor of yours. Ah, his voice in my ear is worse than the butcher's nails yeah uh, tore, tore one apart though one of those gold wrapped bastards,
1: so <laughs> one of the gold wrapped bastards, so custodes yeah. He, yeah so he killed the custodes, oh yeah, those guys are pretty uh, tough though, aren't they yeah, I mean, they
2: no yeah they wouldn't wouldn't match they're uh, a custodes.
1: are they somewhere between a are they somewhere between an Astardes and a primark then yeah, so yeah. It's, it's so it's not surprising he tore one of those guys up. No, even though no, he was really. naked and that guy was in full, full
2: Primark be v- Primark. V. Primark um, they are
1: beasts. There you go. Okay. Um, um I like when he asks him when he starts asking to him. You know, and look looking when Angron's asking him. So, so how do you meet your death? I bet mean, he keep calling them paper skins. How do you meet your death, paper skin? What do you do? Because you don't do the rope, you don't do this, you don't do that. What do you do? And he's like, well, we have oath of moment. You know, we we give our vow to our brothers and to our legion and all that stuff. Um And did you take an oath before you came to see me? No, I didn't come here to fight you. I keep telling you, no one in the Legion will fight you. Yeah. Oaths of moments are for battle. We're not here to fight you. You are our leader.
2: He um Yeah. No, and we find kind of can't as you say, can't works it out. He's like, Oh, I, I get it. Okay, right. So you're annoyed at the Emperor because you, because he came in and stole you away and didn't fight you. So you, it's like you can't have any respect for someone who won't fight. That's how you earn respect in Angron's eyes. Okay, right. So then Khan, Khan goes back to this. Well, there was this one time on Nov Shendak where he did fight. And not only him, but your brother's, um, uh, or your brother, should I say, Pertorabo, marshaled the defences on this planet and all the time Angron in his head is picturing this fight, because that's you know, this is the only thing he's known. So he's in this kind of dealing with it. Um, and and we get this description of these worms on No Noshadak and, and the, the fighting of the Iron Warriors. And finally, we get to this description of the Emperor, not merely fighting and beating, but annihilating the enemy. Um, much like, as it's described in there, a grenade held in a fist will do to the hand holding it. So... He works out that, yeah, Angron needs this. Angron, it's the only way to contact, get through to Angron, is that. So not only does Khan let him know that, yes, the Emperor's there, and not only was he there, but he's the best of them by a mile. But also, you have a brother who was there. Uh, you know, and some of them are very different from you, but they're, they're there. Um,
1: yeah, there's but, a couple of cool things in here that that I wanted to quick mention. Um, Yeah. Um. And just a a quick backup is when he describes what the rope means, and I know you had mentioned it when he explains it. When Karns like, I don't know what this rope is, and he explains the rope. It's actually it's kind of sad when he's screaming how he can't go back and finish and and mark that one bit of failure. How his rope and he shows him how it goes all over his body, all these fighting and all these battles. It's really and they're all red. Yeah, because of course he doesn't lose.
2: Karn hasn't. uh, Angron hasn't lost. The only one to not have a black mark
1: right and they go through and and, and that's
2: it as well he's lost for the first time he's lost yeah so not only has he um he can't you know honor the honor the loss and all that and all this but he's actually lost for the first time so he's never faced that before either
1: all of this is going on in his head while this is happening um but i like when he's explaining the battle to him where we're at and there's a bit of a knock at at Berdabaro, there isn't there. Oh, well, he's really good if you can build up a defensive wall. You know, he, he's good at building defenses and and Walls. this. These can be broken. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. but as he's describing the battle, Angron is like acting it out. I love that yeah. part where he's sort of you know doing all the motions and the moves, and he was doing this and and just sort of you know envisioning it that that warrior mind is always on, even in Angron, even you know in Angron when all this stuff is going on. Yeah. Okay. And the fight. He came in, and they came from below. Oh, and so did you do this? Did you do that? Yep. And I would have come in this way. And this 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 whole, him picturing the battle in his head and sort of fighting it out in his head, and and sort of pantomiming his own, you know, fighting, uh, technique, how he would have been attacking these things. I thought was really sort of interesting to watch what he's doing.
2: Yeah. Definitely. Um. Yeah. And yeah, I so say, the way he describes his own fights. With Jakura um, and Cromac and all that, huzin you know, he's he's so in in the fighting is, is the only thing he's got is his only language, right? And and so, as you say, when when that description's going on, as you say, he's playing it out. He's thinking about it. Kind of, you can almost see him thinking, you know, what would I do? What would happen here? What would be going on there? And it gives him some form of focus.
1: Yeah. And I gotta say that description you gave when they talked about the emperor—you know, if a paper skin held a grenade in his hand till it blew up—because that's what the emperor is like when he's fighting. When he drops into something, he just—it just there's nothing left. He just this might be the coolest description of the emperor at least battle-wise, that I've seen in any of the books so far. I mean, there's always these cool descriptions of him as, you know, the golden being that people just fall to their knees and can't look at, or the description of the cold, heartless bastard that you don't even want to be associated with because he's, you know, he's so ruthless and evil. And here is just this, you know what it would be like if you just held a grenade in your hand till it blew up and there would just be nothing (laughs) left in your hand? You drop the emperor in the middle of a battle, he's the grenade that's what it's like it's just like oh okay that's a yes. that that's a, that's a great i i get that you know it you know it, it makes you kind of wonder what he needs all these other guys for at times yeah. But I get that. Like, you wonder how any battle is difficult for him at times. I mean, even the the battle at Ullandor where they're fighting and it's just, you know, long, hard. How is any opponent difficult for him to defeat on, with those types of descriptions? It's like...
2: Yeah, was but, it difficult at Ullandor? Yeah. You know. Um, yeah, absolutely. And and that's what gets through in the end. That The final thing that gets through is... Um he's baiting Khan again, Khan's like, I won't fight you. You're my you're my Primarch. I've sworn an oath, you know, and I'm not um I will not fight you. And if I must die, then yours is the hand I will die by. I am Khan, I am loyal to your will. And it's a, you know, finally all this is sunk in and Khan turns okay, yeah, you're warriors, I can see that you're warriors, I respect that. And um you've oath to this guy? And it's like, yep. And he's like, well, if he can inspire your loyalty, then he must be something. So he must be the warrior you describe. And then all of a sudden, he's, he's speaking uh, Angron's language now. Because yeah. he's, he's you know, such devotion from such warriors. A man who can, a man to whom your oaths, for him you would. And there's this point, this room, I can leave it. <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah, mm-hmm. This this is, the flagship this is your your vessel
1: yeah and um, I, I love this this whole part where he's screaming who's going to pay for my brothers and sisters and he's yeah. screaming pay fight me and it's like and, and and karn thought well i carried my embassy as well as a warhound could he and he can't even get up he's just laying there you're my <laughs> primarch and he's like he's like, well i'm dead i did my best i i thought i had it. i almost had it and, and, and you know what, not understanding what the butcher's nails were, I was like, man, he just keeps beating him. But now it kind of, um, it's it's almost, it, it, you, well, here's the thing, you know, Karn doesn't get it either. He doesn't know what the heck these butcher's nails are. There's no way he knows what these butcher's nails are. He knows less than I do. I at least had heard of them and knew it drove him to more higher heights of violence. Yeah. I didn't realize it forced him to do violence to calm down. So every time he's freaking out and grabbing his head and then he just hits him. And you know yeah. you you kind of go through Karn's mind. It's I seem to be getting through to him and then he just beats me up for no reason. <laughs> and then it just happens he's like I did, you know, he's like God, I was so close. You're my primarch and my general Lord Angron. I swore I would seek you out and follow you. I will not fight you. If I must die, then yours is the hand I'll die by. I'm Karn and I am loyal to your will. I love that. I just loved it. And then finally yeah, he's no, like yeah, sure. that's it. You're warriors. I see it. The first acknowledgement uh him, And it's like the first acknowledgement or kindness Angron pays Karn, and Karn can't even respond, because he's dying. Yeah. This, you know, and they finally say, like, this emperor, is he the one you swore to? We swore to each other, on his name and on his banner, that we wouldn't raise a hand against you, and uh you know, I'm just trying to wonder what's going on in Angron's mind on this page, where he says that. Angron's got, you know, such devotion from such warriors, a man who can, a man to whom your oaths for him you would, and then minutes passed, and then this room can that's what he's, can I leave it can i can I leave here? do they ever take the butcher's nails out of angron's head
2: no um I think yeah, I think it's covered later on okay essentially they believe that removal of the nails will kill Angron.
1: okay, so they're in this but I mean it's got to be toned down I mean, at some point I mean because I mean mm. It, mm. I mean, Well, I mean, I was reading the first three books, and Angron was here having entire conversations with people without having to smash anything. Either he's learned to tolerate it.
2: He's also not filled with rage at having been pulled from a fight that where he hoped to die.
1: Okay, I, uh, well, that's true. He's not in the emotional... He's in a very different
2: mental yeah. state. So, yeah. Um, but, yeah, uh, as you say, Khan, Khan's half-dead or a little more than half dead how he (laughs) is
1: not in that Astartes coma I don't I mean I get it he has to stay awake to give his little speech at the end
2: he can put himself into the coma if he wanted to
1: (sighs) but no yeah yeah. but can he keep Uh, it can he stave it off because it's just crazy
2: so Angron actually picks him up to carry him out yeah he ain't walking
1: out on his own two feet
2: no um, and then And he's uh, just, just, he knows just what to say, kind of as they come out, you know, salute your primarch warhounds, salute he who shed blood on the hot dust and made the high riders pay for their arrogance, salute your blood sire and the general of the 12th legion, salute the one whose soldiers were named the eaters of cities, salute him Astartes.
1: Yep, and they all do. I love how even when he walks out there, he's holding him, and he's standing there wound tight as a bowstring, his free hand opening and closing, his breath rumbling, and they're all just standing. And he says for minutes, for long minutes, they're all just standing there, and he's looking at each guy, and they're all just looking at him, and they're terrified, and you darn well should be.
2: Yeah, too right, yeah.
1: You know, and they, they're, they, yeah. It's they just, don't know what went on. <laughs> yeah, and that's where Karn's finally, like, you know, Karn saves the moment there. He learned enough to say the right things where they're going to do. Well, I mean, he, you know, he said the right thing. You know, any of this, just salute your Primark was enough for them. Salute him and then throwing in all the stuff that he'd learned about Angron, all the honorifics to make sure that it placated Angron as well was just perfect.
2: Yeah. And then um, I get the feeling that Dragar almost undid it. So, you know, um, uh so Angron, a uh, Primarch, I'm General again. Primarch shouted Drager in response, General, your warriors were the eaters of cities, lord, but with you to command us the warhounds will be the eaters of worlds. For a moment Angron swayed, his eyes and fists closed, but then he looked at Drager, from there to Khan and he smiled. World eaters, he said, slowly tasting the sounds, World Eaters, so you shall be, then, little brothers. You'll learn to cut the rope. We shall bleed and be brothers. This time they all met his eyes. Slowly, one of Angron's great fists came up to return their salutes. Come with me then, world eaters. Come down with me and we will speak. Angron turned on his heel and walked back into his chamber. Yeah, then they followed down. And it's like, oh, it, even then it was like, did he take that well? It kind Because of, it's like, oh yeah, you, your guys were eaters of cities, but we can do so much more and it was like Ooh, is oh is that you the speech almost assaulted in him
1: and he, he and then he looked at card and realized okay this is what you're saying with you at our side we can become eaters of we can yeah i yeah i and then oh, I love the though that last sentence. Silently supporting Karn in their midst, the world leaders followed their Primarch down into that darkness, that stank of blood. And that's such a great last sentence because he goes back. He doesn't go up to the command center. He doesn't go. Mm. He goes back into the little holding cell. Like like you know, to think of that as his room. Or, you know the, the you know he stayed in slave pits for how long? Yeah. You know, yeah. so to go back into this basically this holding cell full of blood and death, which is almost like a slave pit there in the ship at this point, yeah. is is just a, that learned reaction to go back into there. Come on, and I'll teach you. We'll go in here. But then they followed him down into darkness and blood. Oh yeah, they did.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, not, exactly. Not just yeah. now,
1: <laughs> but with that, they followed Angron down into darkness and blood in so many ways.
2: Yeah, I mean, to the point, yeah, as we go on, we'll see, you know, um, they wanted to wear the butcher's nails in honour of their Primarch. It's like, yeah, crazy. But, I mean, one thing I didn't talk about through that is almost when, you know, Angron is Spartacus, he is the working class man, as it were, he's below that, he's the slave, Um, and he fights against this culture of high riders, which he hates, you know, the highborns, all those culture war kind of things, and then this emperor in golden armor with his golden troops come down and be like, "Yeah, we're taking you by." And it's like, how hard must that be for someone who's fought against, you know, the ruling culture of his planet oh, for yeah. his whole life? You know, and and yeah. you add that into everything else, and um, yeah. After to say, we we we've got three books in three stories in this book. In Blood Games, Last Church, and after Deshaya, which are still regarded as being three of the best heresy stories so far, out of all the novels and all the other things as well, and after, yeah, after Deshaya certainly shows up in that for, for for its worth. Um, you've you've got dealing with with Angron, which must have been really hard to work out how to do. You've got making Khan the absolute you know totally kind of cool character that he is say, so which aaron takes on and, and extends and extends uh, uh, and the okay. legion birthed in blood i mean they were aggressive beforehand <laughs> and then the emperor's like yep angron you can go there which again creates huge kind of questions as to um what was the whole plan with uh, the emperor being like nah angron will be fine there." <laughs> could, i mean could the the legion can remove the the um, butchers nails. Could the emperor remove the butchers nails? Yeah, that's a different story. As to whether he could or not, I mean, no one probably will know. But you know, did he need Angron as he was to do the job that he needed him to do? But he, when when you took when you look at legions and where they end up, um, Angron's probably the one where it was like yeah wasn't it always going to happen he's he's been taken as a slave and he's become part of this imperium where he's not truly free per se um and that becomes a big a big kind of story in his
1: future yeah that's yeah. yeah it's it was it was great it was a great ending those last couple of stories um on the whole, I really enjoyed this a lot. I wasn't certain where all the stories were going, not knowing as much as everybody else seems to know about the 40k universe <laughs> and stuff. Um, but especially on that second reading, it's just—it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. You know, um, just watching the the the, the, the heresy uh, evolve, evolve here. Um. It was, it, I just, I loved it. I loved this book. I really did. <laughs> I did. I did.
2: Yeah, no, it, it was very good. i say uh, the Space wolf story is very uh, old school in terms of how the Space Wolves are portrayed now, uh, but I still enjoyed it. Um, as I say, those three stories really stand out as being very good. The Dark Angels one's cool without necessarily setting the world light. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other ones that are in there now. But yeah, there's... It's, you know, it's generally considered to be the best of the short story collections, um, even though some of the later ones have got some pretty cool stuff in as well. Um, but yeah, good times.
1: Absolutely. So next, next time that. we're going
2: to, yeah, returning back to, uh, the Dark Angels.
1: Yeah. Um, Fallen Angels is next. Um, this one's an interesting one. It's interesting because of the way it's written, where they're kind of going back and forth between two separate yeah. stories. Chapter each chapter, like the odd number of chapters, there's one group, and the even number of chapters is the other group, and they're literally jumping back and forth between. It's sort of two parallel stories happening at the same time, and of course it is because it's a Dark Angel story, and it's got to <laughs> be. You've got to have these this this disparate sort of uh, things happening um i've i've started into this a little bit and uh we're going to you know we'll we'll get into that one uh, as soon as we can um but it's back into regular stories and then after that uh isn't the the one after that Prospero Burns
2: uh it might be yeah i think Go it ahead. is
1: and isn't that
2: uh It's a Thousand Sons first.
1: Oh is it oh it's a Thousand Sons first. That's right. Is, yeah. But isn't that the isn't that the one right after that? I think it is. It's
2: Yeah, it's Fallen Angels, Thousand Sons, Nemesis, First Heretic, Prospero Bands. Uh frankly, I like all of them. Um, yes. Fallen Fallen Angels is an interesting one for sure. Um
1: I I liked it a little better than Descent of Angels, I think. Um and Oh, but partly you know what I I shouldn't bag on Descent of Angels so much It was just that that story it, You know I was expecting it to continue And the next book didn't continue it You left me with a cliffhanger And then didn't continue it for six books It was just like don't do that to me So that that was part of the beef I had with that So when you start to go to continue it um, I'm, I'm, I, You know That's better for me It makes me a little happier so. But uh, I think that's it Isn't it
2: Yep. No, that's wonderful. All right. So it's wonderful. Uh, we're we're, we're going to have an announcement to put out very soon. If you're listening to this as it comes out. Yep. So keep an eye on the social medias and we'll put an announcement on the show feed as well. Yeah, we'll have a show uh, feed.
1: We'll have a little quick thing But some, some stuff cool happening. stuff, I think. Yeah, cool stuff going on. Exciting stuff. So.
2: Indeed. Yeah.
1: Pay attention. We're hoping you enjoyed this episode and we do hope you will join us um for for our next our next book coverage uh, which should be coming out when when it comes out. So we are glad that you're still listening and still joining us and we hope you have enjoyed this. And until next time folks, the emperor protects.
2: Death to the false emperor. Congratulations on completing another episode of After Ulnor. David and Greg would love you to come and chat some more about the Horus Heresy on the Facebook page. Just search for After Ulnor. You can email us if you wish at greg at garagehammer.net or david at garagehammer.net Finally, you can catch us on Twitter at After Unor, at Child of Fang for Greg and at garagehammer for David. If you'd like to support the show, you can visit the support page on the main website at garagehammer.net and you can leave a positive review on iTunes. In addition, you can tell all your friends to come and join the community. Many thanks for listening and until the next episode, may the Emperor protect you.